Listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for the month we've all been waiting for! Woo! It's It's so exciting that we got a jumpstart on it two months ago. uh, Unknowingly got a jumpstart on it. We're talking about Rene Russo Month. A month that spawned out of one random reference last year (laughs) that led to an obsession on mine and Ben's part. Uh, for what's probably going to be just the first of many years, talking about Renee Russo, <laughs> and what better movie to kick it off than one of her movies at her peak. We're talking about 1999's Thomas Crown Affair, from the man who brought you 1988's Die Hard, and 1993's Last Action Hero, and 2014's Prison Sentence for Illegal <laughs> Wiretappering. It's John McTiernan with Pierce Brosnan, Rene Russo, and Dennis Leary! Dennis Leary! <laughs> and a movie that we have been talking about covering on multiple podcasts for several years. So, let's get into it. My name is Colin, and so much sex, so much boobs, so much Pierce Brosnan chest hair. It's beautiful. You thought it was all fighting. Uh, I'm... <laughs> my name is Ben, and you know, I was okay once. My girlfriend got drunk, stayed out all night, came back in the morning married. I told people I didn't care. Then I fucked five women in three days, flipped my car on an on-ramp, beat a suspect unconscious, got suspended, but I was okay. <laughs> I- I'm really sorry to hear about you and Mallory, yeah, but well. it sounds like you've been <laughs> getting on okay. <laughs> Tick it off, I'll be engaged again by the end of the year, don't worry. I thought you just said you'll be gay by the end of the year. Well, that can be engaged <laughs> and gay, Colin. You know, gay people can get married more, now. <laughs> a couple more Pierce Brosnan movies and you may be convinced, I right? think I am gay after this movie. My Lord, Pierce Brosnan's attractive in this film. I'm sorry, like, Renee Russo, nope. you, you are a beautiful woman, but Pierce Brosnan, mmm, yummy. <laughs> you know, it's funny because <laughs> this movie, uh, I, let's talk a little bit about history with this movie. Uh, I think I mentioned last week, I saw this movie when it first came out because I was, at this point, not quite at the peak of my Bond you know, fandom, but pretty close. I mean, I still was living and breathing James Bond pre-World is Not Enough, and then in between World is Not Enough and Die Another Day, it probably got even bigger, but just was obsessed with James Bond and uh, hadn't really seen Pierce in anything other than James Bond, maybe Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, I don't. I think I'd maybe seen one or two episodes of Remington Steel when my mom watched it like a year or two prior to this movie on uh, reruns. But um, yeah, I just I, I I wanted to see Bond, and this movie looked like it was Pierce Brosnan. He he dressed like James Bond. He looked like James Bond. It involved heists, so it seemed, sort of seemed like a James Bond movie. And then I saw it, and I think I was just too young at the time to really appreciate it or understand it. Um, but now. How many years are we now? 21 years later, I've seen this movie probably a half a dozen times since. And every time I see it, I just like it more and more and more. And as usual, sitting down and taking notes, you definitely <laughs> notice some things that are some issues with this movie. But uh, for the most part, I mean, this is such an enjoyable movie. But I just I find it so crazy when you were talking last week about how you remember when this came out and there being a big deal about the nudity and the sex. And like, I, I don't remember. Is there nudity and sex in this movie? 
And then the first thing I did when I was I was watching this, you know, Jamie had left the room for a few minutes and I stopped. I'm like, Jamie, there's a big sex scene going on. Ben was right. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, he said this movie had a lot of sex. I don't know how I didn't remember this. Boy, is there ever a lot of nudity and sex in this movie. Not that it's even a dirty movie. It seems like a nice mature movie with mature 40, mid 40s, late 40s people having sex and Showing their flawless physiques and stealing paintings—it's just—it's all around fun. I have to say, you can tell Colin hasn't watched much porn in his life. If you oh, this is movie's really graphic. There's so much sex in it. Like, okay, more than I remembered is my point. Not that it's not eyes wide shut, as we mentioned last week, but I—I I don't know how. In 21 years and seeing this movie a half a dozen times, it somehow slipped my mind that there is sex and nudity in this movie. Yeah, I mentioned last week that I just I just remember it might have just been one review where they were comparing this to Eyes Wide Shut in terms of nudity and sex. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. But I this is my history with this movie is I watched it last night um, and... I'm sure by the time this gets released, we hopefully have already released the episode or it's very due to be released around about the same time. Our review of a brand new movie in 2020, the Eurovision (laughs) Fire Saga movie, which of course had Pierce Brosnan in it. So I ended up having a Pierce Brosnan double feature unwittingly because, you know, I realised, oh oh yeah, Pierce Brosnan's in the Eurovision movie and then I watched this straight afterwards. So I had a good night uh, last night when I uh, watched this movie. But I, I remember hearing about it. I remember a friend in high school... We used to go around to his house and he had this on the DVD shelf and he's like, oh, it's a really good movie, you should watch it. And I don't know why I never watched it. I just guess I didn't. I have to say that there's there's two movies this reminds me of. One is a movie that I've actually never seen, but somehow it reminds me of it. But I still say this is a better movie than it, than even though I haven't seen this other movie. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, because I've seen the trailers and there's a glider scene in it. Uh, there's two attractive people flirting and falling in love and... I think Fifty Shades of Grey, there's criminal activity. I don't know. That's just about bondage. And ask Jamie. She'll explain to you what bondage is. But, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, for some reason, though, I automatically saw this movie and go, well, this is obviously better than Fifty Shades of Grey because Fifty Shades of Grey is crap. Um, and the other, the other movie that this reminded me of uh, was actually Entrapment. And I don't know yeah. if that's a common thing or I'm just being weird. And... I really like Entrapment. Entrapment's one of those sort of movies that I always forget how much I like until I watch it again. Another Bond actor, of course, in it as well. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Somebody Same I'd, year. Somebody I would gladly do a, a movie month of is Catherine Zeta-Jones. So, yeah, I I enjoyed this movie. I will say it right now. Like, it's definitely not my favourite movie of all time, but it's, it's a slick, it's a sexy movie. It's kind of... You know, this would be a good first date movie. I reckon this will get you laid on your first date because it's it's very sexy, Colin. And that's because you've got two sexy leads who really are just (laughs) sexy. Even Dennis Leary's sexy in this movie. You know, Faye Dunaway's sexy. Everyone in this movie is sexy. That's just pointed out. I mean... The orderly from Silence of the Lambs is sexy too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 guy in jail who I think is um the guy from Breaking Bad. I didn't look that up. I was going to before this episode. He's sexy. Like this movie just you just you just want to see it and be sexy. You're like, oh, Thomas Crown Affair, sexy. Play some sexy saxophone music in the background. And I think we've also reached our quota of the word sexy for this episode already. So yeah, Dennis Leary. And- <laughs> 
We should mention, too, this is based on a movie that had come out like over 30 years, the late 60s movie, almost over 30 years prior to this, The Thomas Crown Affair, uh, that starred Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, who <laughs> plays a different role in this movie. Uh, we appreciate the name Faye Dunaway, right? <laughs> fading away. I'm fading away. <laughs> I didn't get that until Ben explained it to me. But uh, even the original movie was known, like, just the style. It was stylish. It was sexy. <laughs> Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, very slick and, and modern for the times. Uh, but it wasn't like it was a movie. I, I'm sure it's still considered to be a classic, but it's not like one of these things. If you mention other movies from the 60s, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey or Easy Rider, you know, the people immediately know those movies. Goldfinger. Uh, it, it's a movie that I think film buffs probably would have known. People who are alive in the 60s would have known. Uh, but it was just a favorite movie of Pierce Brosnan's. And funny enough, Pierce Brosnan himself also produced this movie. And uh, I, I do find it funny that, you know, if we're going to look at Pierce Brosnan outside of James Bond, I mean, without a doubt, this is the movie he's most well known for. Mamma Mia would probably be up there as well just for the success of the movie. But, I mean, as a Pierce Brosnan movie, if you say, what's Pierce Brosnan's best non-James Bond movie, you're probably going to get Thomas Crown mentioned the majority of the times. Uh, and he basically makes this movie to capitalize on his success as James Bond while playing kind of an opposite character of James Bond. Uh, but it, it's funny to think that had he not finally gotten that role of James Bond, it's not like Pierce Brosnan would have ever turned up in Thomas Crown. I mean, his success as playing James Bond got him the power to produce this movie, to make this movie, to star in this movie. And basically this whole movie is promoted as, oh, it's Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, but this time he's the bad guy, kind of. <laughs> uh, but I think what I really remember from before this movie came out, aside from just Pierce Brosnan in a non-James Bond movie that would be good for Bond fans, uh, was the casting of Rene Russo, who's our dedicated star of the month here. Because uh, it was such a big deal that they had a female lead in a movie like this that was of the age of the female or the, of the male lead, not the female male lead. <laughs> Pierce has not gone through any type of procedures. Uh, rest assured of that. But especially during the 90s, this became such a big deal in the late 90s. I'd say probably in the year or two prior to this, uh, what was it, like two years prior to this, you know, you had Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Haich, and that became a big deal in Volcano, even though it's not a love story between them. And then even bigger deal the year before with Harrison Ford and Anne Haich. It's just that Anne Haich has a type. Uh, and it's not women. Uh, it's <laughs> well, apparently hang older men. Colin, Colin, <laughs> stop, stop. Anne Hesh has a type whatever week she's feeling she has a type, okay? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, Anne Hesh. I have nothing against you. I actually like Anne Hesh. I really do. But let's be honest, in the 90s, she had a bit of a problem making a mind up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we know at least her characters really like the older men. Uh, but Six Days, Seven Nights, it, it almost became a controversy that you had such an older guy with a younger leading lady. And then... Just prior to this movie, earlier in 1999, as you just mentioned, Entrapment comes out, falls into the same mess where you got Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And again, it, it becomes very controversial. We're going through, you know, different phases now where certain things are just immediately, no, you can't say that. No, you can't do that. No, we got to cancel that. And if you want to go back to 1998, 1999, that's what it was for older men and younger women in movies. And this, I think, was the first one that really cast, you know, an age-appropriate actress. And there was so much press about that going into the movie where people were even saying, oh, why did you cast Rene Russo in this movie? And Pierce Brosnan was like, 
because Rene Russo is great. Why not? You know, <laughs> and, and, and it's really weird to me that this suddenly became a big deal with Thomas Crown because we're going to be going through a ton of Rene Russo movies where she was the age appropriate leading lady for guys like John Travolta and Mel Gibson, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> Dennis Leary, uh, who, Dennis Leary. <laughs> but like this is the role she played, but it was almost just like with Thomas Crown, suddenly everybody noticed, hey, you can cast an older actress and you can make you can have her take off her shirt and, you know, have sex with Pierce Brosnan and people will like it. It's not going to turn people off. It, it is interesting that there was that real trend at this point, wasn't there? This older actor, younger, very young. Like not, I mean, we still get that today. People often complain about, oh, Tom Cruise is in his 50s, yet the leading lady's in her 30s or 20s. That's not believable. I mean, the difference is Tom Cruise doesn't age people. So, like, Tom Cruise can play a 16-year-old <laughs> if he wants to, and it's going to be believable. Um, he was actually, true story, he was like 45 uh, in, what was that movie he did when he dances to take those old records off the shelf? Um, business yeah thank he you is, he is currently in his 70s yeah for those who are counting like true story like absolute true story <laughs> um but yeah and then it's kind of odd that people were complaining that she's so old like yeah. it's kind of she's the same age as the leading man how is that a bad thing but it is mm-hmm. you know, i've actually realized with the four renee russo movies we're doing that she's not star build in any of them so for no. for a month that we are covering and we are here to celebrate Rene Russo, we are doing four movies that, I mean, honestly, we're going to be talking a lot about the other stars in them too because clearly this one, it's Pierce. We've got a very long love of Pierce Brosnan and Dennis Leary. Um, you know, Get Shorty has got a great cast in it, of course, Showtime, and then, you know, when we do Free Jack. So, but we, we're going to celebrate Renee, and this is the second newest movie that we've done because... She hasn't really acted in the last 15 years, as we've discovered. But, um, yeah, but, like, there's just something about these two have great chemistry and like, I couldn't imagine this role. in Like, it's it's different. All those movies that we sort of mentioned, like, particularly, say, Entrapment, I think kind of what makes that movie it so good is Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones because, like, they don't really get together in the end, do they? They sort of are implied that they kind of do, but... It's And that's what I think kind of keeps it a bit mysterious is that age gap and what they're doing. And then with Six Days, Seven Nights, I mean, it again, Harrison Ford's one of those people that you kind of just ignore his age. He's Harrison Ford. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, and, and Anne Haish, like, she's not, she doesn't come across as young or old. She's kind of just ageless in some aspects. And and Volcano, does she, she doesn't even end up with Tommy Lee Jones, does she? Like, it's implied. No, but- it's... it's- it's one of these weird things where there's one or two scenes where they're implying like that the two kind of are into each other, but they never go anywhere with it in the movie. I always thought she was a lesbian. In, and this isn't me being silly. Like I legitimately thought that that woman who gets burnt to death was her like partner partner as well as being her. Like, And I think <laughs> there's a fan theory that that is actually the case, that those two are actually were meant to be. They're just 1997 in Hollywood. They're not going to have as openly gay couple as they would today, maybe. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, they should just work together. They really work together. And mm. both of these actors are, are ageless as well. I mean, it's hard to believe that they're both in their 40s in this movie. I think they they do yeah. not come across that. And the fact that this movie is so sexy, like you would assume <laughs> that you would have a movie like this that would feature sort of late 20, early 30-something actors. Like this should be Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, like before Mr. and Mrs. Smith or something like that, you know, two really young, hot actors of the late 90s. But you've got two middle-aged really hot actors of the late 90s, and I'm glad because Pierce Brosnan, oh, 
Yummy. Renee Russo. Oh, yummy. <laughs> Dennis Leary. Oh, yummy. And can I actually just say, does Dennis Leary ever play someone that isn't a cop? Is this just a thing? He played a football coach in draft day. Okay. Uh, other than that, I think I think you're right. He's uh, just a cop. An authority figure. Because wasn't it Rescue Me? He was a yeah. firefighter. So Dennis Leary is either singing about people being assholes or he's an authority figure. I, I want to I connect the dots here, though, Colin. I say Thomas Crown Affair exists in the same universe as The Amazing Spider-Man. He eventually went from being detective to chief of uh, police, basically. Like, it was a gradual yeah. rise. It was, what, 12 years, 13 years after this? So, it, it's possible. So, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, young Peter Parker is out there somewhere in this world in The Thomas Crown Affair. It's all connected. Yeah, and we could even go further back and say that the Ice Age movies are also in the same universe, and uh, Diego the whatever just evolved into uh, a cop. (laughs) Dennis Leary! (laughs) Or his ancestors. (laughs) Dennis Leary! Uh, It's also funny that Dennis Leary's the young guy in this movie. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Kind of odd. (laughs) I like Dennis. Dennis Leary is one of these ones that I just, like, I haven't seen him in a lot of things, but I'm like, I like that guy. He's kind of the same in everything, but Dennis Leary, good for him. That's and a t-shirt. That t-shirt. Can we show. get a t-shirt? Dennis uh, Leary, good for him. Dennis, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> but that TV show he did, Rescue Me, I never saw that either. But uh, I know it was very popular. It was on TV forever as well. But also playing a firefighter, but an authority figure still. Yeah. Um, just before we jump into the movie here, I think I gathered it right. You said this is literally the first time you've ever seen this movie? Yeah, absolutely first time I, wow. I've seen this movie. Maybe when it was on TV, I maybe flicked over through it to once or twice. But And I actually, I, I made a point that I didn't read about this movie or I didn't watch a trailer. Like, I went into this completely blind based on knowledge from the past. I want to try and do that as best as I can this month with these movies because that was kind of like when I... You know, I told a story about Ghost a few weeks ago that I technically seen as three-year-old, but, you know, as if I'm going to remember that. I watched the trailer before I watched Ghost. I'm like, well, okay, this is a completely different movie to what I think it was, thought it was going to be. <laughs> so I kind of went in with a bit of an expectation, whereas this, yeah, all I was thinking, like, Pierce Brosnan, Ray Russo, there's apparently lots of sex in it, and somebody has an affair with Thomas Crown. So that's all I went into it thinking. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one more thing I just wanted to talk about you because it was interesting how you mentioned that Rene Russo is not the main star of any of the movies that we're covering here. If you actually cover filmography, I, get, this is where, you know, I'm not going to get down on people's complaints now or whatever. Like, you know, this isn't about me too or whatever. But really, if you if you were to compare the amount of female-led films versus male-led films, not only is it 50-50 now, I actually think it's – there has been one or two years where it is more than 50% that it's female-led. When you go into television, it's more like 60%, 70% female-led TV shows versus male-led TV shows. But we really did come from a different time because it's not unusual for the fact that Rene Russo was the female lead in Lethal Weapon and In the Line of Fire and Outbreak, Get Shorty, Tin Cup, Ransom, uh, Thomas Crown, Showtime, Big Trouble, Yours, Mine, and Ours. Because that's really all there was. I mean, I, I'm struggling to think about a lot of female-led films during the 90s that weren't starring Sandra Bullock. Uh, <laughs> it, it just wasn't a thing. So, <laughs> it, Sorry. I, like, I get it. Like, you, I'm not laughing at the fact that you're wrong. It just, it just was such a random sentence that I wasn't expecting old Sandy to get brought up all of a sudden. Good on you. You've, you've worked in Sandra Bullock into an episode. I'm proud of you. She may literally be the only female star who would lead her own films. Julia Roberts? Yeah, there'd be some genre. 
Well, the genre films, yeah. So I guess Julia Roberts might be the other one. You might get, you know, the odd one. But, like, as far as action films, dramas, stuff like that, you know, other than romance films, it was very unusual. So Rene Russo was probably one of the bigger stars of the 90s. But it's just totally different now because if you were to take somebody like Rene Russo, drop her into 2017, she's leading her own movie. So I think people just need to – I'm not saying people don't complain about this or that. We're not getting into political discussions, but just – it is very different now, and I think you don't realize how much better it is for actresses now than it was even 20 years ago. And 20 years ago wasn't even necessarily that so bad. Uh, but let's get into the Thomas Crown Affair here. Um, one thing I just want to quickly point out is uh, the the soundtrack for this movie, which is so different. And I think at times it almost sounds like this music doesn't sound like it belongs. By the time the movie's over, it's just like, wow, that was just the perfect soundtrack for this movie. Scores by Bill Conti, the guy most well-known for the Rocky movies, does an incredible job with the soundtrack for this movie. It's totally unlike anything I've heard before. Um, but the opening sequence is Fade Dunaway. <laughs> Fade away. <laughs> Fading uh, away. I mean, it is a cheap cameo let's throw one of the original stars in the movie in a role that really doesn't need to be there they cut back and forth through her several times there's not a lot of substance i don't i don't think that the movie would hurt if you had cut all her scenes out of there it is just sort of a cheap cameo but it's it's something and i do think there's a purpose to it because i think if i'm, I'm gonna have one complaint about this movie it's that we don't really ever see the weakness of the thomas crown character you know he's always so put together that there's not so much suspense as i think there should be about is he gonna get away with it is he gonna get caught because he's just always like yeah whatever i'm thomas crown i'll find a way out of this uh seeing him in the therapy sessions i guess helps out a little bit otherwise it's just it's there it's faye dunaway's cameo um one thing i never noticed in the half dozen times i've seen this movie in 21 years is that during the opening credits the letters swap it's supposed to be Mm. like swapping the paintings get it so we're gonna swap in uh renee russo's name an e for an e and they switch places and they do that literally through every single title kind of clever uh Pierce Brosnan, Thomas Crown, is in an art gallery. He's eating his lunch out of a briefcase. He's staring at a painting, which is not the painting that's going to get stolen. And that's kind of the point of this movie is that he's very fascinated by this other painting. I don't know much about art, but uh, he's staring at a painting. And the guard says, you know, everybody else goes to stare at the Monet painting. And he goes, I I love his line here. It's like, well... It's very nice. <laughs> That's all he says. <laughs> and he just looks away from it. But, of course, this painting that he's just sort of blowing off, uh, and I, I don't know, is that a gimmick? That's one thing we could discuss in this movie. If that's you know, a kind of a trick of Pierce's character to not be the suspect where he's in there staring at a different painting but just wants to be in the same wing, or is he actually fascinated by this other painting and he just decides to steal the other one? I don't know. Uh, but uh, he's uh, eating his lunch out of his briefcase. Uh, we learn that he runs crown acquisitions and this is this is gonna sound like we're just gushing over pierce brosnan but can this man walk or not like when he is walking into his office i turned to jamie and i'm like is that not the greatest walk you have ever seen <laughs> like he walks like such a star it's but such a weird thing but he's just there's even in confident this, well this opening section like this is what i'm saying about like how attractive he's in this movie like Literally, you've got this bit where you just see him sitting in the dark. There's, like, this super close-up on his face. The guy just is looking flawless. And just the character just oozes this, like, charisma and sex appeal. And, like, I get it. This guy was James Bond for a reason. But, like, as you kind of said, like, he's kind of playing the anti-James Bond. And 
you kind of always have that problem with a James Bond actor where you're trying to not picture them as Bond and not once in yeah. this movie did I picture him as James Bond. That that is the brilliance of ja- of Pierce Brosnan. Like he just you like you forget that he's James Bond in this. Like he, this is the period where he's literally James Bond. He's halfway through his James Bond career at this point. So, but he's just the walk, the suit, just his eyebrows, his ass. We get to see his ass in this movie. Yes, I'm sorry, Justin Trudeau, you've lost your title as the sexiest ass in the world because I've seen <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's ass now. But oh, this man. Let's just say it right now. Whether they were 45 years old or not, I would dare somebody to find a more attractive couple in any movie than Pierce Brosnan and Renee Russo in 1999. Like, yeah. it's insane. Where were the rumors? Uh, like, I mean, we all remember Brad and Angelina with Mr. and Mrs. Smith and all these sort of movies. Yeah. Like, where was the tabloids? You know, uh, bloody, what's her name? Meg Ryan and Russell Crowe. Like, come on. Yeah. I wanted the, the Renee Russo-Pierce Brosnan love affair of the late 90s, early 2000s. That's hotter than Benefer. Who cares about Benefer? Like, does it just speak to how solid their marriages were that it was never a question? Because you can't deny, like, their chemistry is ridiculous in this oh, movie. So, much. so you, yeah, if they were 10 years younger, guaranteed that this would be rumors all over the place about them. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the cutting back and forth here between his uh, acquisition, uh, his merger with another company, uh, and then what's going on inside the, the art gallery. Uh, the, the acquisition part's fun just because you get to see him doing business and this is where you get the first hint of him not being such a great guy even though he is such a great guy like you love everything about him but he's not you know mr upstanding citizen as he's debating about signing the paperwork for some deal he's about to close merging with another company or whatever and uh as soon as he signs the papers everybody else on the other side of the table just bursts into applause and hooray yeah we did it and then Pierce lets out a nice line. He goes, yeah, wait until your bosses figure out that you paid me $30 million more than anybody else was offering. Good day, <laughs> gentlemen. He <laughs> just sort of walks out. And again, like he's charming in doing it. You, you're behind him, but he's clearly a very shrewd businessman. Uh, and while all this stuff's going on uh, with his business, you also see inside the art gallery, there's a delivery, um, something in a big box, and the paperwork doesn't match what's on it. It says it's supposed to be a sarcophagus. Uh, but it uh, on the paperwork, I guess it says it's a horse or something. They open up the box, and it's a giant Trojan horse statue. So they realize this is the wrong thing. Okay, let's just leave it, and they walk away. And then as the uh, museum art gallery is closing, uh, somebody starts to cut themselves out of this Trojan. It is literally a Trojan horse <laughs> that is leading the criminals in here. Uh, they cut their way out of it. And this is where we get very typical probably the only thing in this movie that is very typical 90s is this high scene with the, the guys coming out and they're all european i think they say they're romanian later on uh they're romania. cutting power very bland yeah, the romania they're just there <laughs> they're, they're the romania of thieves of our thieves uh <laughs> you, you think they're from romania you're kind of like yeah well they're just there you know they exist but they're not gonna yeah. you know cause you great memories in the future I mean, it's not like they're the Wyoming of art thieves. That no. would be really bad. <laughs> We're That's why from at least Romania. Of- <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the, the best thing here, maybe the most unintentionally funny moment in this whole movie to me is where all these guys are talking and they finally gotten inside. They're in the basement. They're cutting the air conditioning. We don't know why. They're going to be climbing out the ducts and then – they say, from this point on, English from everybody. And they're like, except for Yanni, he doesn't speak English. <laughs> and they all just, oh! <laughs> like they're, 
single language shaming this man because he doesn't speak dual languages. They're, they're like so over the top. Yeah, you don't speak English, you idiot. It's, it's a very so Romanian cruel. sense of humor that is. Like it's like it's, yeah, exactly. It's a long going joke when you're in Romania. Like guess what? We don't speak English. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> up in the art gallery, which is still open, uh, there's kids getting a tour. Thomas Crown's in there as well. He's gonna gonna be going to stare at his painting. There's a weird moment where one little girl goes to touch a painting, and a guard comes and like touched on the shoulder, and he's like, "No touching, dear. I'll let you off with a warning this time." <laughs> I'm like, "This guy is super creepy." <laughs> he's the airline pli- he's pilot to- from airplane. You ever seen a grown man <laughs> <Exactly>. naked before? <laughs> Like, he's totally trying to pick this little girl up. It's just wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these guys are climbing up inside the air vents. Um, they eventually get into the exhibit. They're now in uniforms. And I love they have to say that they're you know, English from now on or whatever. And they go up to one of the other guards. Says, the boss wants to talk to you immediately. And you can still clearly tell they're Romanian. They're just speaking English. <laughs> uh, but this guy doesn't question him. He gets on the phone and calls his boss or whatever. Uh, it's like, boss, you want to talk to me? And they've intercepted the call. One of the other guys has intercepted the call. It's a big, typical 90s, early 2000s heist scene, like out of the score or Ocean's Eleven or whatever. And uh, they're now closing off the wing uh, so they can pull off this massive art heist. There's a helicopter coming in. Uh, Thomas Crown tries to go and view his painting, and they say it's closed. So he goes and informs one of the other guards. They're saying it's closed, but you're still supposed to be open for 50 minutes. What? What's going on here? And so Mr. Petto, uh, the uh, <laughs> guard here, decides he wants to spring into action. Uh, there's a big mess as they realize these guys are trying to rob them. A smoke grenade goes off. Uh, I think fog grenade or something. No, no, that's later in the movie. I don't even remember. Uh, but Thomas Crown whips in there. He opens up this briefcase. He steals the painting He gets out of there. Uh, His briefcase is holding the the briefcase that he came in earlier with in the day is holding the door open so he can slip in and out. Uh, Chaos everywhere. Some of these criminals get apprehended. Some of them don't. Thomas Crown gets away. He goes all the way home. He is greeted by his manservant. Uh, (laughs) What's the manservant's name here? Not Dennis Leary. It's Dennis Leary. Uh, Anna. Mr. Anna. His his manservant's name is Anna. Well... (laughs) There's another Anna later, so, like, I just think... Pierce just calls yeah. everyone Anna. Uh, you g'day, Anna. How you doing? Still Anna here. <laughs> it's Steve McQueen. Uh, that's his cameo. That's Steve McQueen's cameo. The, the, the reanimated corpse of Steve McQueen, <laughs> looking very Asian. <laughs> He's a very method actor, Steve McQueen. He's like, I don't want people to know it was me. Like, I need to get into a different role. Who can I play that's complete opposite of Steve McQueen? I know, an Asian. I'll play this Asian. Let's whitewash this film. Uh, but uh, Pierce takes out the painting. He uh, has the painting of the guy in the bowler hat. I don't know. Do you know anything about art? What is this bowler hat painting? <laughs> Do I know anything about art? Do you know me? <laughs> I don't know how to read. If I'm going to know about art. Look at that painting there. Oh, that's worth a million dollars. I could do that. I'm one of those people who literally looks at every painting and goes, I could do that and sell it for a million dollars. Do I know anything about uh, art? It's like you saying, let me say to you, do you know anything about sex? <laughs> All right, so there's a painting of a guy whose face is blocked and he's wearing a bowler hat. It's a famous painting, apparently. That gets removed. Behind it, there's a secret compartment. He puts this painting he's just stolen. He admires it. 
Um, uh, do we want to talk about anything else here? Uh, let's just, yeah, let's cap it there with the end of the heist and uh, the steal- stealing of the painting before we get into the, the true star of this film. This end of is, our month. I mean, this is really where it's like the slickest and kind of, you know, action pace the whole part of the movie the sort of the actual heist of the of the painting itself but I, I love kind of like the editing of this film the way it sort of just quickly switches between the moments and you got that big zoom in of manhattan at the beginning as well which is kind of it's really cool the way they do that i i just i love these types of movies where you've got these characters that they're just so charismatic and you're meant to that's what you're meant to love about these characters but there's just something about thomas crown that you know even little things like in the taxi like yo don't want to leave your briefcase behind. No, I'll grab it. And then nearly gets hit by a truck and all these little quips with the people in the museum. And he just eats his, what is it, like a croissant while he's staring at a painting. Oh, like, I, I joke about not knowing about art, but I mean, wouldn't you like to be one of those people who just goes to an art gallery and sits down and eats your lunch and stares at a painting? Like, I've tried. I've been to art galleries. and I'm like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to stare at this painting and see what people do. I get bored. I'm like, why do people do this? It's a painting. It's got some pretty colours on it. There's a tree. Okay, moving on. Um, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Cameron had it correct when he's just staring at that little girl in that painting forever. Like, you know, like he's at least doing it because he, he's got some problems. But, like, you know, he's not appreciating the art. Um, yeah, I, I really question the staff of this museum who literally go, oh, it's the wrong order. Oh, we'll just leave it here because it's Friday. We'll wait till Monday. <laughs> like, like, what if they, that was, what if they're expecting like the Tutankhamun sarcophagus or something like that or the, the Mona Lisa's on tour? Oh, this isn't the Mona Lisa. It's just a stick figure my daughter drew. Oh, it's all right. The Mona Lisa will show up somewhere. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't make a phone call, nothing. <laughs> This is the freaking Museum of New York. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's one of those leading museums in the world. They have some of the rarest items in the world. Hey, it's fine. Probably just in stuck in traffic. It's New York, you know? Um, and the thing that I love about the Trojan horse thing is, like, the way they kind of joke about it later on, like, this actually worked, a Trojan horse. I've talked about on this show before. I'm pretty sure it even the show might have made my top 50 TV shows from memory, The Chasers War and Everything, and they were kind of known for you know, pranks and sort of trying out things. So, like, one of their things they did was the ad road test. So, they would get a TV commercial, which was, you know, over the top and silly. And they're like, would this work in real life? So, like, there was a, I think, an ad for a deodorant where, like, you sprayed your deodorant in front of a pretty girl and if you sung out into a song, she would give you their phone number. Like, that's what the ad implied. So, they literally had hidden cameras and they would go into, like, stores with, like, a pretty girl, spray themselves with this deodorant and break out into song to see if they could get their number without any context. And all these girls would be looking like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you singing at me and spraying deodorant everywhere? Like, what's going on? So, they actually did a... A similar thing like moments in history. Would this work today? So they actually got a Trojan horse and then they got it delivered to certain places to see if they could sneak in. And like five out of ten, they got in. And I think they even got to like the the Greek society or like I don't know my Greek history. So whoever the Trojans snuck in um, and they actually got let in. So they were like legitimately these people do not learn from history because they were the ones who actually let the people in. <laughs> I think they even got the ones who were 
the ones who are keeping the story of the Trojan horse alive yeah. for the rest of the world are yeah. fooled by it. And I think like they even like got to I don't know maybe like the prime minister's house. Like they just delivered a giant wooden horse to the prime minister's house, and the prime minister was the people at the gate was kind of like, oh we'll let it in, we'll sort this out later, <laughs> and they like snuck in. So this is a thing that still, if you ever want to break into someone, the the Trojan horse clearly works. Thousands of years later, or however long the history was. Um, I also love these guards when they're like, call upstairs if you don't believe, like, and they've, you know, they've planned this out. They've got somebody hacked into the system, but like, you, you, you work clearly, you have money, you have a job, but like, (laughs) some of us in this country work for a living, Ben, (laughs) but like, even if you're at a company that has a fairly large staff, like you're not going to know everyone. Right. But like, if there's somebody who has an accent, you generally remember that person, right? Like it's. You know, it's just something you remember. So, surely... Honestly, well, I live in Winnipeg. Literally, if you don't have an accent, you remember because you're in the minority if you have no accent in Winnipeg. Well, there you go. You've got a Canadian working there. You're going to remember them. If all of a sudden five Canadians show up in your boardroom and are like, oh, yeah, there's a phone call for you. You're going to be like, I don't remember working with five Canadians this morning. So, like, why isn't this guy not like... Why are we working with five people with accents? Like it's it's not and that's not yeah. being racist or nitpicking them for having accents. It's just literally you remember quirks about people, so you would be like, "Well, hang on a minute, who are these people?" And there's three of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Hi. I miss. I also miss the best part where they literally go up to one of the guys and say, "What do you think you're doing?" And he just turns to them and goes, "Yes." Like this is so <laughs> Manuel from K K from Faulty Towers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And I also love, like, you've got, like, you're talking about this being stereotypical heist. There's always, like, one little thing that sets off one little alarm. So it's kind of like, you know, Roger and George, go downstairs and check the air conditioning or something like that. And of course, like, oh, yeah. do we have to, Sean? Like, we really should. You never know. Something might be happening. This Again, this is how 9-11 happened, people. There were these people in real life were there and they did this and the planes flew into the buildings. Read into it. It's true. But I, I love how they just go down to the thing and they're like, Oh, looks like the air conditioner's off. Oh, well, better call maintenance. <laughs> Did you watch the Rangers last night? Like, do, do, are there really this inept people in the world? Again, September 11 happened, so yes, there are. But um, why do we always bring up September 11, Ben? Just, just <laughs> what is this we? Don't don't group me in with your filth. Every time. It's the new sand, coarse and rough. <laughs> no, it doesn't get a date. Whatever. Um... <laughs> But I also love kind of like when, when Pierce leaves and he comes back, but I love it when he goes into the building and then there's that guy who like Pierce Brosnan pushes in front. Oh, what does he do? Own the building or something? And then he's kind of got that smirk and that guy's just like, well, yes, he does own the building. Um, but this is definitely a movie that I can imagine pays off a lot more on a second watch as well, because like even right now, kind of flicking through it, there's just little moments that kind of allude to clues in this movie. Like there's actually when Brosnan's walking through the gallery, you see kind of a the a semi sort of glance of that painting with the apple in front of the guy with the bowler hat and, you know, things like that. And then like you notice the, the third leg under the chair and things that are going to be clearly part of how you, you know, they're discovering that Thomas Crown did this. But um the interesting thing I read was that the original must have been Steve McQueen was a bank robber uh, and they uh, changed this because they didn't feel that in modern times that people would feel sympathetic over the fact that he's a bank robber, which is, what does that say about Mildred in the 60s? Like, oh dear, he robbed a bank. I love him because he's Steve McQueen. Uh, I'm telling you now. Let's have naked sex on the stairs. Yes. 
Pierce Brosnan could have robbed a bank. Pierce Brosnan could have been Osama Bin Laden and 9-11, and we still would have loved him in this film. He's just that goddamn attractive <laughs> and good-looking. Um, so, yeah, it's all, it's all like, I'm I'm thoroughly entertained at the beginning. This is the best part of the movie to me, is this whole opening sequence. And it goes by very, very quickly. Like, it's just, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's like slick, 20 minutes. Slick. Yeah, and it's just the whole, it's just great. I love these movies, and I think you're a big fan of sort of, like, heist movies. I don't watch oh, yeah. a lot of them uh, compared to what you do, but... I like these when they're kind of well executed and it's kind of like they get away with a crime and they're just so charismatic and cool because there is something about his character that you're kind of like, I want to be him. Like, I don't want to break the law because we're good people. But, yeah, I don't know. You're like, yeah, I want to be cool and go into an art gallery and walk out with a $100 million painting and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to put it up on the wall and cheese to it with my scotch dry on the rocks, whatever it is that he drinks. And... Fly to the Caribbean and have sex with Renee Russo. Oh, like just, again, Pierce Brosnan wasn't acting in this movie. True story. This was a reality show. This was Pierce Brosnan's life. Yeah, they just, uh, in post-production, would dub her saying Thomas, where literally it was her and Pierce. It's just in one finger. weekend. It's Bowfinger. It's yeah, just- yeah, exactly. Tom Cruise didn't know he was in that vampire movie. Yeah. Um. All right, so here's where we get introduced to our detective. So we have the police detective, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Renee Russo, who uh, I always remember her as being constantly hung over in this movie, but it's something about the way she plays this character and always wearing the sunglasses and drinking like this disgusting green juice. Like there's something about the way she plays this role that reads as her being hung over all the time. Yeah. But I don't think that's supposed to be the point. It's just kind of a fun quirk about it. But just quickly giving some praise to Renee Russo here. This isn't any knock against the other stuff that she's done, but she's been in some great movies and she's good no matter what she does. But I can really only count a few of her 90s blockbusters where she really had a character where it's like, okay, she was playing something. She wasn't just playing Renee Russo. And again, that's not a knock. I don't mind actors who just Bruce Willis just plays Bruce Willis. I'm fine yeah. with that, you know? Will For the Ferrell. most part, Renee Russo. Adam Sandler. Yeah, Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we're lucky that we're going to be able to cover, you know, at least a few of these movies. Get Shorty, she plays a real character. Lethal Weapon, she plays a character. In this, this is a real character. Like, it's not just typical Rene Russo. Uh, and I would make the argument that she probably has more screen time than Pierce Brosnan in this movie. I mean, it's it's his movie. It's about him. It's called the, called the Thomas Crown Affair. But I think this is her movie. And even just her introduction, like they give her this big introduction where she walks into the room and she's glamorous and she's wearing sunglasses and she's maybe hungover. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She's bossing everybody around immediately. And just the quirk of a character like you wouldn't expect in a movie like this. She's not a police detective. She's essentially like a private investigator who's hired by insurance companies to see if they can retrieve it because it's better than paying the insurance. So if the art gallery files a theft claim on this and they get reimbursed for, I don't know, $20 million, whatever this painting is worth, they're like, well, if we can pay Rene Russo 5% of whatever this would be worth. So uh, I'm actually usually really good at Mac. $5 million. Uh, <laughs> 5% of $20 million is $5 million. Oh, I thought it was $100 million. Sorry, I thought it was no. <laughs> $100 million. Well, it might have been that in the movie. I said $20 million. But yeah, let's say that. So, but 5%. So she gets One that, million. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> We're just making up now. Let's say $6 million. That's what she gets. <laughs> With your, your Dr. Um, Evil finger, you know, to the year. $100 billion trillion. Million. Dollars. <laughs> 
Um, so obviously she has a price and it's, it's very, I would not think that they had things like this, but it makes total sense that an insurance company is just going to pay their own investigator to find out what happened or to find out if it's a real insurance claim. Uh, so she goes in, she basically just, you know, works circles around the police officers. I think that this is one of the things I love about her character that I actually don't like so much now that I'm picking a movie apart a little bit. Cause she almost comes to her conclusions so quickly that like the audience is catching up and you want that moment where it's like, that's what it is. But in the same way that like there's not as much tension because Pierce just plays it so cool for the whole movie. I think Renee Russo, the same thing is that she doesn't have a lot of these big revelations. She's like, ah, Heater was under the bench and uh, you know, this camera is uh, detected by Heat and blah, blah, blah. And oh, this was the uh, the forger and he you know, worked with the forger in Germany and the daughter, blah, blah, blah. She just puts it all together maybe a little bit too quickly. But it is really cool to watch her character just walk circles around these guys. Which doesn't uh, make Leary sense, too, though. Like, again, this insurance woman is basically given her own free range to interview police suspects. Is that a thing? Yeah, well, you would think there'd have to be, hey, do you mind if I work with you? And they would put on limitations. You know, it wouldn't be you're there when they're doing the lineup with the suspects and you let me have a crack at him and go in. Like, I don't think that's legal. You know, I think yeah. if you were to admit this confession in court, it's not going to hold up. Um what was that? <laughs> Dennis Leary just walked in. <laughs> well, somebody's in my house. <laughs> I hope they're not stealing a painting. <laughs> well, judging, judging on your real life, Colin, it's probably an employee just bringing over you some strawberries or something. <laughs> yeah. Thought you wanted some strawberries. Here they are. They're on the table. Okay, see you Monday. Bye. I like my alarm works anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Is your alarm company uh, good? Because they just walk in. So, don't know if I want to go with your company when it comes to alarms. <laughs> Children can just break it by slamming door. It's very shoddy equipment. Uh, anyway. Uh, but, no, you do make a really good point. Like, she should have some type of, you know, deal that she makes here. But it's still fun to watch her character. Uh, I do get how the police wouldn't be good at this. Like, they're not picking up on these things because... The, Dennis Leary says, Dennis Leary, Dennis even Leary. says later in this movie, like, I don't investigate this stuff. And he's like, a week ago, I was taking down corrupt real estate agents and then a guy who was beating his kids. Like, to me, this is just rich people losing some money. I, I don't care. Uh, so it kind of makes sense. But the police really are completely inept in this movie. Uh, she picks up on a bunch of things immediately, like this briefcase that they found is dented. Uh, it's titanium, so it would have had to have been placed there beforehand. But why would the criminals want to do this when they were supposedly going to blow the skylight out and trap themselves be behind the cages in the room? Why would they hold the door open? Uh, so she starts basically poking holes in their entire heist. Uh, we're intercutting with a lot of Pierce out on the golf course. He's in a sand trap. He hits it almost perfectly out of the sand trap. Guy says, oh, I bet you $10,000 you couldn't do that again. He's like, all right, I'll take that bet. He puts another <laughs> ball in the sand, doesn't get it. He's like, all right, uh, let's 10 times it, $100,000 $100, this time. He's literally just throwing money away just to see if he can do it. Um, they're investigating the camera. They realize that the one camera recorded nothing. The only camera who would have actually been on this painting. Uh, they pull up the camera at the real time. They realize it's sort of heat or body temperature sensitive. So how would this go out? Well, the temperature would have had to have been there. That's why they shut off the air conditioner. But how come these other ones aren't off? That's when they go in and they look at the bench and Rene Russo, of course. And this, I love stuff like this, but I almost feel like this moves too quickly still that we we needed a moment to, you know, 
catch up to what she's doing or just have like a big whoa when she's like, how many legs are on the bench? Two. And then they look at the video. And it's like, interesting, three legs here. So they theorize it's a heater or something that was meant just to take out the heat signature cameras. Uh, Thomas Crown, who's the one person who could identify who stole this painting or tried to steal it, is in the lineup. Uh, he picks out the Romanian guy who Rene Russo just gets free reign to interrogate. <laughs> uh, she speaks his language, too. Uh, he immediately caves just because she starts flirting and trying to seduce him. Which is a true thing, uh, which happens to Rene. Rene Russo was actually brought into real-life police cases exactly, because yeah. it's Rene Russo. Exactly. This is how they get people to confess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it would. I'm. I'm not gonna knock it. It would work. Oh, like if well, I ever commit a crime, if I ever steal a painting, you know, and I, I'm determined, I'm not gonna give in. They send Rene Russo in. I'm telling her the whole story in ten minutes. You, you know, if Jamie uh, suspects taking- you of cheating, that she's gonna send Rene. Colin, did you cheat? I did. Sorry, Rene. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't with you. It was with- Good thing Jamie never listens to our show. You know, funny story, just sidebar here. <laughs> Jamie um, has been going to sleep listening to podcasts every night. And she tells Owls? me, I was listening to this podcast. No, that's the funny thing. <laughs> Jamie! Um, she's like, oh, I've been listening to this podcast all day. And it's like, oh, you really got to listen to this podcast. I'm like, I have no interest in listening to that podcast. Like, no, you should. They're really funny and smart and witty. I'm like, I know another podcast with somebody who's really funny and smart and witty. You're married to him and he's got three shows, okay? <laughs> You don't listen to them. I'm not listening to yours. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Thanks a lot. Like, you know, she's, oh, I've discovered podcasts. Oh, owls? Like, <laughs> we talk about you every you bloody episode. We covered Patrick Swayze taking his shirt off, Keanu Reeves playing football, and still she hasn't listened. Oh. Uh, <laughs> if she listens to Renee Russo, though, I will not blame her. Uh, other funny story. We had just freeze framed on Rene Russo at some point during this movie, and Jamie's like, "You know, I am one hundred percent straight, no doubt about that." But I would even do this later. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is how sexy this this couple is. Like Jamie, straight as an arrow, yes! would do Rene Russo. You and I, straight as an arrow, we would do Pierce Brosnan. There it is. They've they've, they've done it well. This movie really needs to get get like a new appreciation. People are so much more open to this now. Like this could this could just save marriages. It could yeah. uh, open people up to new possibilities. Let's get this movie out there again. This this over Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, absolutely. I never watched Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, but I'm gonna vote for this over Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's make Fifty Shades of Pierce. Oh, come on! My 50, goodness, that Fifty Shades of Grey. That that's not that's not enough shades. I want more. I, don't, I haven't even seen that movie, yeah. and I already want more. <laughs> um. So she immediately puts two and two together and is like, now who would be interested in stealing this? Maybe somebody who couldn't buy it. And if they couldn't buy it, let's look at people who've unsuccessfully bid it on this painting and they pull up a list and immediately there is Thomas Crown's name. Again, I wish that they'd taken a little bit more time, you know, just to set this up, but she's immediately on Thomas Crown. So they're spying on him as he's out sailing. Uh, and they literally watch him as he's riding the waves and he basically crashes his boat. And she even says, you want a suspect? That's your suspect. He just crashed a hundred thousand dollar boat just so he could make it splash, which totally goes in line with what we saw earlier with him playing golf too. Um, Thomas crown has generously donated a painting to substitute the one that went missing from the, the art gallery. 
so they have a benefit in his honor. She meets him for the first time. It, like every second they're on screen together is just incredible here. Uh, I just love the way she threatens him in this scene. And he's just like, ooh, fun. Because <laughs> she says something like, oh, yeah, I'm here to basically bring the uh, bring in the head of the person who stole this painting. He goes, oh, whose head are you after? And she goes, yours. Have a nice evening. And just sort of walks away. And he's like, hmm, <laughs> I think I like this lady. Um she explains that she gets 5% cut of uh, anything that she brings in. So we know she's going to make a fortune off this. She, Well, she's basically seducing Thomas Crown, not even on her first date yet. Dennis Leary has gotten a search warrant for his house. And this is a funny scene, too, where they walk in. It's like, we have a warrant to search your premises. Like, inept police officers. I, I, is, is this search warrant even supposed to be real? Because uh, who knows? he basically says... You can have your attorney look over this. And he goes, uh, Bill. And he calls a guy out of his kitchen. He's like, oh, I'd like you to meet my attorney. He just happens to be here for dinner. <laughs> and then immediately Dennis Leary and everybody walks out of the house. I'm like, oh, stupid lawyers. <laughs> they really are know, terrible just... cops in this movie. Like, they <laughs> really are terrible. An insurance adjuster is doing better work than yeah. they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's fun to watch them. Meanwhile, she is going out on a date with him. To the museum, they even say, look at the nerve of this guy. He takes her to the museum that he just stole a painting from. Now, this is the most interesting thing about this movie. They're, they're all just suspecting him at this point. He's their only suspect for the entire movie. Because uh, the thieves who were basically set up, these these Romanians, never saw the face of the man. But it was obvious that this was a setup. And I really wonder if Thomas Crown wanted to be caught. Like, there's a lot of theories I have about this movie I'd like to get your opinion on. So, you know, just jump in here right now, just before we forget to talk about it later. Literally jump? I'm sitting down. I might need to stand up. But does he want to get caught in this movie? Because is it just that Rene Russo is so smart or is, like, the police so inept or – did Thomas Crown lay out a plan that he knew somebody would be on to him for because he wanted to play these games and he wanted to swap paintings later on? Like, it almost just feels like th- this guy either is really clever and everybody else is normally dumb, so he gets away with this, or he intentionally was sort of leaving these th- th- this trail so people could pick up on him and, like, he wanted to be investigated. Like, I don't know. What do you think? I think he's just a... Uh a very rich, successful man that gets bored so that he does things like steal paintings and kind of keep things exciting. And I think the only reason why he switches them and does this and does that is to kind of toy with Renee. That, that That's why I think the the therapy things are kind of thrown in there because otherwise they're just, they're pointless. But it's kind of, you know, you, you learn that clearly he doesn't have a relationship with women and he just, he's, and even the therapist, Faye Dunaway is basically laughing, laughing at him whenever, you know, he talks about having some sort of connection or something like that. So I, I think kind of, it just, it adds an extra element to the game. I, I, my theory would be that if he didn't meet Renee in this movie, he's going to keep that painting and then maybe eventually get bored and swap it back. But no one would yeah. have suspected him if it wasn't for Rene Russo, so he would have gotten away with it. So clearly, like as you're saying, like he's probably just used to getting away with this and just, you know, this adds an extra element to it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of that rich, successful guy that us plebs down here think would love their life and are never bored because they've got all their money. I mean, he's out playing golf of multiple thousand-dollar bets and he's sailing in the ocean and just doing it for fun. He's gliding. He's got the most extraordinary life, but he gets bored. So this is what he does. Mm -hmm. So 
It, yeah. I mean, like, again, I've never seen Fifty Shades of Grey, but isn't that the plot of the fucking movie? Like, a journalist interviews a really rich guy who you think's got it all, but he just is into kinky sex. So he, I don't fucking know. Like, this is a thing that Hollywood likes. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Smith is yeah, kind like- of like that. It's kind of like a couple who are just a regular, like, you think they've got a great life, they're happy, but they're not. Secretly, they hate each other and they've got a more exciting life behind the scenes. See, I think I always thought this was a movie about a guy who was really clever, but then she was just smarter, so she caught on to him, and he kind of had to find a way out of it. But I think the only thing I would disagree with is that it's not when Rene Russo is on to him, because he meets her for the first time after he's already brought this painting in. Hmm. So I think he he wanted to take it back right away just because it was a game for him. But True. I think what happens later on, when we get to the end, I've got another thing to kind of add on that, where I actually do think that... He he didn't care if he got caught. Like it was almost like I want somebody to catch on to me because this is sort of part of my game. Uh, but while they're out, she basically fakes being cold, so he puts his jacket on her. She steals his keys, um, hands it off to the guy from Silence of the Lambs. Here, hmm. uh, they make copies of his keys. She <laughs> gives it back to him. Now this is funny too because they had a warrant to search his house, which let's just say it was not a real warrant. Uh, there's probably a lawsuit against the police department there for that. Uh, now they're basically illegally making copies of his keys and they go in the next morning. Now I understand she's the one doing this, but she hands the keys off to the police <laughs> Yeah, and they're making copies. Uh, I don't really get it. Cause the next morning they use this to break into his house. They, they illegally disarm his alarm. Um, and pretty easy if you work for Collins they, company. <laughs> But uh, that's be one of your lines. I knew you're gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, while they're searching the house, Rene Russo finds the painting of the bowler hat guy, and they don't even show her. And I really like that the movie doesn't show her finding. They go her, they go along with her as she sort of goes up to it, but not when she actually discovers it. And then just walks in the police station. And says, hey, we got it, everybody. And I remember even the first time seeing this movie thinking, like, is it over already? Like, this is where I like that the movies, movies like this, like heist movies, they will throw these twists at you where you think you know what's going on and then it's something completely different. Uh, as they basically bring this painting in, it's like, oh, yeah, here it is. This is the missing one. Okay, let's uh, let's get somebody to examine this. They bring in an art expert. They're looking under a microscope. They're like, uh, there's another painting underneath the canvas here. I was like, well, Monet was known to this our art expert. <laughs> well, he was known to. <laughs> Everyone knows that, Colin. Uh, Come on. Yeah, exactly. If you're an art expert like everybody else in the world. Uh, but they're like, uh, I don't think that this was one of his. And they look on the microscope and it's the dogs playing poker, which is really funny. Uh, so you realize that this is already been swapped out. We don't know where the original painting is. Uh, she's going to storm in and get angry at him, uh, at this dance where she meets him with Anna, Anna number two, female Anna this time. (laughs) And uh, they have like a fight in the middle of this reception or whatever it is. Uh, and, um, Basically, it's a very sex, sexy, it's a sexy dance. fight. Then, <laughs> sexy fighting, dancing. So this is where Colin gets confused. It's it. sexy fighting, but then yeah. it leads into sex. Like he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, and then they go back to his place, and they have a lot of sexy fighting on the stairs, <laughs> uh, which is weird because I, I think I had messaged you as soon as this movie was over, or when we were close to being over, and I'm like, there is a lot of sex in this movie. You're lying. Um, but I, it was I thought, OK, maybe this is just the one scene they filmed them at first, like really far. Like it's like a 40 foot overhead shot 
of them having sex on the stairs. Then it just gets closer and closer and closer, and then you're seeing a lot of their bodies. And the the, the reason I actually think this is interesting is because I don't think this this was definitely not an R-rated movie in Canada. And I know we've talked about this before, different rating systems in different countries. Americans will just assume this is R ratings. But I think you said it was similar in Australia to the way that Canada is. Canada is different no matter whatever province you're in. It might be different. But for the most part in Canada, an R rating simply means you can't get in at all unless you're over the age of 18. Whereas in America, R rating is anybody under the age of 18 can go. You just have to be accompanied by somebody over 18. R rating in Canada means nobody under 18. But we also don't have a lot of R-rated movies. Maybe something like Deadpool is going to be rated R, but something like Thomas Crown or maybe necessarily the Die Hard movies are going to be what at the time was like 14A or PA, I think it was was called, which is if you're under the age of 15, you can't get into the movie you know, unless you have an adult. But this was definitely not an R-rated movie here, which is why I'm kind of surprised that you know uh, this, this got away with it because – this is the first of many sex scenes in the movie, and lots of boobs, uh, lots of bums, um, lots of chest hair. Not just Renee's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. I thought that this would have been a scene that stood out more, um, but apparently it didn't, and I've seen this a half dozen times. Uh, you just but don't it's know nice what scene, sex is. You didn't have... know what sex was in 1999. You don't even know what it is well... in 2020, Colin. Again, I still wonder how Funny you're enough. a father. <laughs> Funny enough. Uh, when, <laughs> when this came up, I'm like, I, I, I told you, I would told Jamie, Hey, Ben was right. There's sex in this movie. There's, there's nudity. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, well, you didn't know that. I'm like, no, I, I've seen this movie several times. I don't remember it. It's like, well, I mean, it, it was a long time ago when the movie came out. I'm like, I saw this movie when I was in my late twenties last. <laughs> she goes, all right, well, <laughs> I just never really answered. True, true, true story, though, actually. The scene that you implied was sex was actually the painting in Exalt at the beginning, and Jamie's like, Colin, that's not sex. And you're like, oh, isn't it? I thought yeah, that exactly. was sex. <laughs> he put something in something else. That's sex, isn't it? Well, we heard about this in, in health class. <laughs> Penetration, right? Painting, briefcase, it's in. Wait, he's leaving through extra doors. Is that anal? <laughs> It's, it's taken three years, but finally I've said that sentence. There it is. Tick that off the Oz Network bingo. <laughs> is that anal? Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> I made Colin so uncomfortable right now. He's literally like, oh, no, he said the A word. I, just, I think we really need to keep a list of what we'll call our um, black market T-shirts. The ones we're not we're not going to sell them publicly. But if you're interested and you want a murderer T-shirt or you want a <laughs> what was it? There, there you got anal or something? You can't even say it. I can see I can see your wife wearing that T-shirt. I feel weirdly <laughs> odd saying that to you about your wife, but I think even you know that I'm right in saying that. <laughs> What is it? Got anal with a question mark? <laughs> got anal. <laughs> Gotta move on. Uh, <laughs> Colin Hilding is growing up before everybody's ears right now. Like, oh, So they had sex and then they have breakfast, which <laughs> his breakfast consists of breakfast and hers consists of disgusting green juice. What is uh, that? Hangover. Is that ever explained? Like was the, I don't know if this was a big fad in the late '90s, like juicing, like green juice or something. I mean, it's you know 
not even well, it's more smoothies now than anything but maybe this was just a 90s thing I, maybe she's always hung over i don't know <laughs> it's renee russo she's got a great life why wouldn't yeah. she be <laughs> yeah exactly uh so just before we uh get into the last section here um there there's a, a nice little moment here as they're parting after the night and she says to him something like, you know, just so you, just so you're aware, I'm not going to be backing off. And he goes, I would be hugely disappointed if you did, uh, which is going to set up the, the last act of the movie, the romance act of the movie. One thing I did, Dennis Leary, like, I actually really like his character in this movie. I know he's completely inept and the cops are in this movie, but there's just something about his character that is just, is just great. Like, I love that bit right at the very end when he's basically like, I don't give a shit about art. And he like, he almost basically just lets her get away with it. Like, yeah, go meet up with, who cares? Like, you know, we've sold the main part moving on. And I'm sure there are cops who like legitimately when they're given a case of like, oh, Detective Colin, you're going after an art thief today. You're going to go, oh, fuck that. I want to do a murder case. You know, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be like, really? Like, we, we all have had jobs where you want to do something and you get given the shit parts of that. Clearly, Collins is installing very dodgy alarms. But <laughs> it's, you know, I just, I just like Dennis Leary's character in this movie. And, like, I even kind of like, they sort of imply that they're, you know, he's into her and sort of, but it's not done in such a way where it's, like, wrong if that makes sense because like even when she kind of runs off later on to be with pierce at the end and she kind of like kisses him it, it kind of just feels okay like you're like okay you kind of feel bad for him because clearly his wife left him and all this kind of stuff so just just dennis leary what a man what a what a mighty mighty man what a man even though i don't understand still how this insurance adjuster is basically like why can't they just make her a cop is it because you can't have a cop run off in the end with the bad guy like why can't you have a cop at the end run off with a bad guy like there's no reason. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what it was in the original, too, because I, I have seen the original. I remember, I don't know, at some point a couple of years after this movie came out, you know, it was on TV and I checked it out. And, you know, I, it was fine. I, nothing really stood out about it to me, but I, I'm guessing it's pretty similar to this, I, but maybe it is different. I, I don't think know. she is because I think I read about Faye Dunaway that, like, in the original, she played the insurance adjuster and it was, like, a different title. Like, she had a different name. Um, so I think she, that's maybe where it comes from. But again, I mean, they changed Pierce Brosnan's on a bank robber in this movie. So why couldn't they change that? Like, I don't know. It just, I don't know about the world of insurance adjusting or whatever. Like it's, it's such an odd profession. You know less than you do about the world of art. Well, I do like God, I mean, Canada, you guys don't know anything about insurance and taxes and shit like that. You just charge out your asshole for it. Um, <laughs> Listen to the brink for more information on that. Um, the whole boat scene on the yacht, like it's kind of cool. Apparently, Brosnan did all his own stunts in that sequence, so good for him. Of course he did. Of course he did. I, the one scene that I love, uh, the very over-the-top product placement of the can of Pepsi, the way they kind of like follow yeah. her to the machine. They zoom in essentially on the Pepsi One logo and she throws it in the bin. Just go back and watch that scene. Dennis Leary's partner has the exact facial reaction of somebody looking at somebody drinking a can of Pepsi. Like it's like, a, why are you drinking Pepsi? <laughs> like that's... That's the look. That's what you give people if you see somebody drinking a can of Pepsi and they've made an actual decision to drink Pepsi. They're not just in a restaurant and you hear that, is Pepsi okay? No, it's not okay. Um, <laughs> go out and buy me a Coke. Um, it's just, he's just got that exact facial reaction to it. I do love it sort of when, you know, Renee's investigating him and then kind of they, they hook up and... You know, it's you know it's going to happen. Clearly, if, if anyone saw any of these trailers beforehand, it was sort of 
clearly these two are going to get together, but there's just the cat and mouse and their flirtation with each other. And they just, they're just so good with each other and all that kind of stuff. I actually, I love the trivia on this movie that apparently, and I, I don't know if Brosnan brought this up on his live watch long of Goldeneye. Cause I think somebody might've asked him this about whether or not it was true that he had a contract that cause he was in James Bond contract mode at that moment, he was never allowed to be seen in a tuxedo. Like it was kind of a stipulation. And same, I think, even with the ties, like he had to wear certain colour ties and that sort of stuff. So in the scene when they eventually hook up and they're in like that black and white ball, his um, suit, his tuxedo is untied. So like it's kind of, it's a bit worn down. So you don't actually see him in a full tux. And then even when he's in his suits, like he's wearing like a blue shirt with a blue tie. Like he wasn't allowed to wear like a white shirt with a black tie. I, I think he talked about that in that watch line. I mean, Pierce doesn't even know what uh, he was talking about. He <laughs> fell asleep halfway through it. But um, the so the sex scene, it was funny. So I'm sure you've had this happen to you in your life. Like if you've ever like you've been in a lounge room or some public area and you're watching a movie and like say your parents are home or something like that and and you know there's like a dirty scene in the movie and you constantly like your, your mum or that's keep walking in the room. You don't care. But, but they always just happen to walk in in the one inappropriate mo- scene in the movie. Like it's just, it's just a, yeah. it's a thing. It happens. So last night I'm, I'm watching this in the lounge and Mallory was like, we'd finished watching the Eurovision movie. So she was reading and she was about to go to bed. So of course, at what point does she walk out? <laughs> <laughs> she could have walked out at any other point in this movie. She happens to walk out of the point where there's Pierce Brosnan's ass, like banging Renee Russo. Like, and it's fine. Like, again, I'm marrying this woman. Like, I've seen her well, ass. Or is it ever fine? She's seen my ass. Like, you know, that usually should lead to some fun. Like, at least it would have if Jamie had walked in with you, not me. Maybe <laughs> me. I don't know. Your wife does message me sometimes, so who knows? But... um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, it's like, it was funny because like Mallory kind of looks like, okay, good night. And then like literally Brosnan's ass is on screen. And I'm like, look, it's Brosnan's bum. And like, she, <laughs> she turns and then I'm like, oh, don't worry. They're just Renee Russo's boobs. Like I'm more excited for Brosnan's bum <laughs> than I am for Renee Russo's boobs. Um, true story. Apparently this was Renee Russo's first ever nude scene. She, she'd never done nudity before. And why wouldn't you pick the one movie with Pierce? That would be... The one yeah. that you choose. Of course it would be. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty. And, like, the music, it's kind of, like, Latin and it's all sexy and just, like, blah, 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 blah. that's my Latin. Sexy. Sexy. One, one, I don't know if this is going, this is backtracking a little bit because I think this leads into when she has the keys and goes into his apartment. When Brosnan sends over the bottle of champagne to the other table, who are they? Have, did I miss something? <laughs> I don't even remember him doing that. She's like, it's like, when, are they police officers? Maybe. Cause like she gets up. That's when she sort of goes up and he like checks her out as she walks away to the bathroom. And then she does a key exchange with the science of the lambs guy. Um, but he, when he's ordering, he like, he's like, Oh, I'll have the lamb. She'll have the fish and send over a bottle of your finest Bollinger to that table. Like, yeah, I don't know who they're meant to be. Is there a deleted scene or am I not paying attention? I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, uh, there's just I've talked about this before that when you as an actor I, I can't imagine doing a sex scene like we think well most people not Colin because he doesn't know what sex is think that having sex on like with Pierce Brosnan or Rene Russo would be a great perk of the job like you get to hook up with these attractive people 
people and pretend to have sex with them. Why wouldn't you want that job? But you're literally on a movie set with like 30 people staring at you. Like I I can't imagine it's not an incredibly awkward experience, particularly when you've got to really convey passion and, and lust and these two do it. Like, there's just mm-hmm. something about this. Again, not acting. I don't know. And, like, as you said before, like, it's it's amazing to think that these two are married, happily married, and yet this wasn't the Angelina Jolie. I've seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I don't know why I keep bringing that up in this movie. It's been a while since I saw it, like, a year ago finally, and I was like, ah, that's fine. It's not as great as some people say it is. But mm-hmm. in watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith, there was not as great chemistry between Brad and Angelina, the couple of the mid-2000s that broke up Brad and Jennifer. Like, they overtook yeah. Benefer as the couple of the 2000s. Less chemistry between those two, a movie that put these two together in real life, <laughs> than I'm watching with Brosnan and Rene Russo on my screen in this this sequence. So, don't know yeah, what's going on there. Agree. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's all pardon the pun, coming, that this was going to happen. Um, but, yeah, the glider scene, uh, is this just a rich person's... I don't know, am I jumping ahead here? Did you cover this before or...? Yeah, well, that was going to be the next part. Okay, I'll, I'll just quickly say the glider scene, like, oh, God, we're rich, so we must... Only rich people fly gliders. <laughs> um, and I do I do love the bit when, like, where they, wherever they land, what does Rene Rooster say? Like, oh, we're only about three states away from being home or something like that. And then Brosman, mm-hmm. like, picks up the phone and, like, they're on a plane next minute. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun, like, as us poor people. Like, I'm sure it's great to fly around in a glider and be rich. Did it better than Fifty Shades of Grey, and I've only seen that in the trailer, so, you know. Uh, yeah, well, the glider scene, uh, funny enough, that's the only thing I really remember about the original Thomas Crown when I did see it, because uh, th- this is directly lifted from that. Like, same type of plane, same type of sequence, cheesy music playing, Um but uh, that's exactly what they did in the original. So I guess it, maybe that was a more famous scene from the original. They felt like they had to have it in here. Uh, it's fun, though, just to watch them having fun together, though. Because uh, I, I think she says to Dennis Leary at some point where, you know, they realize, well, this is definitely our guy. But how are we going to catch him? Why are you going on dates? Why are you having sex with him? And she says, the more he likes me, the more, you know, I'll be able to be around him till I can figure this out. But you actually really get that these two are into each other. But also there's something about her performance where you could buy that if they rewrote this ending to say she was playing the whole time that you buy it. Like there, there's a sincerity and an insincerity there that it, it works both ways, which is kind of cool. Uh, but the scene where they fly off to the Caribbean too, I like, she says, I was like, I've got appointments this afternoon. And he goes, Oh, Oh really? <laughs> Next thing you know, they're on a plane to the Caribbean. Uh, and then also they have the, the, the painting. You see another painting there that, uh, you know, he's brought along with him or whatever. And, uh, the little house they have here. Uh, so here's an interesting, interesting bit of trivia. Apparently John McTiernan, you know, is a big car collector. Mm, and, uh, yeah, this this car that he's driving here when they land the Caribbean all the way up the hill to that house is uh, one of John McTiernan's cars that was meant to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's car in The Last Action Hero. So he's like, you know, I really th- I, w- I want to put this in one of my movies. And it, for whatever reason, didn't work out in The Last Action Hero, so he puts it in here. Uh, but apparently this is just a John McTiernan thing. You know, Alfred Hitchcock, Quentin Tarantino, these guys have cameos in the movie. McTiernan puts his cars in his movie. He's just getting rid of evidence uh, before he goes to jail. He's kind yeah, of like, exactly. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this car, I need to um, use it in a movie. Um, hey, movie yeah. studio, do you want this well, car? It's free. Nothing wrong with it. Isn't it? 
Isn't it also interesting that uh, while he was spending time in prison for illegal wiretapping, uh, he came up with the plot for Thomas Crown 2, which he wrote while in prison. Yeah. Uh, Funnily <laughs> enough, it still there. hasn't happened. He's probably going back to jail. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he throws his car in here, which is funny. This house is great. And it is funny, though, that he, he she says something. like, oh, do you take all your dates here? And he goes, no, I don't bring anybody here. And literally the next thing he does is he opens up a closet with a bunch of women's clothes. You bring nobody here. Are you wearing this, Pierce? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit strange because it's not like it's meant to be played as a joke. Nobody comes here. Take your pick. It, it's more like very serious. I bring nobody here. All right. Which one of these dresses do you want to wear tonight? <laughs> I've got my eye on the red one. <laughs> Hands off. Uh but uh, as they're, you know, she's got a towel wrapped around her. You don't fully see her boobs, but she's basically topless again. Uh, they're sitting around a fire, and she's sort of taunting him a bit and speculating as to whether he would be cocky enough to actually bring the painting he stole with them to the Caribbean. She finds this painting, this still box that's uh, uh, sitting in the corner. She picks up and throws it in the fire. There's almost no reaction from Pierce at all. Oh, that's great. And then later on. What is it? I don't even remember what this is. Something like, uh, you know, oh, uh, what was that? He goes, oh, just a nice little whatever. He mentions some artist name, art, who knows. And then she goes, uh, just like a nice little copy. And he goes, well, we'll never know. No. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. That's, that's, that's these type of movies that are like it works and it's the casting that works because you, you got to have that just cool charisma, like literally sitting there potentially yeah. burning a multi-million and just, he just doesn't give a shit. It's just, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's just, it's so good. And can I just point out again, I haven't said it all episode, this is why Pierce Brosnan is the best James Bond, because he just oozes charisma yes. no matter what role he has. Like, he just he just pulls it off. Like, he just does. Like, I love you, Sean Connery. You're my number two. But in no way have I ever seen a film with Sean Connery where he's able to just do this so, like, it's just so naturally. And that's a mm-hmm. controversial statement, because Sean Connery is Mr. Charisma. He's Sean Connery. But I've also seen Sardos. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, Pierce kind of – I was thinking to myself, did he just make a career out of doing stuff like this? Because a lot of his movies after this, to me, felt very similar, like After the Sunset and Taylor Panama. But then when you really think about it, these movies are total opposites from Thomas Crown, from each other, from everything, Matador, whatever. He's just always so suave and so charismatic and so charming and just, you know, looks so confident and, and beautiful. <laughs> but – in this, he's playing a charming thief. In Taylor Panama, he's playing a not-so-charming, crooked spy. In, in Matador, he's playing total sleazebag. It, it's just, he has the ability, no matter what he's playing, to just ooze that charisma, like you said, just be Pierce Brosnan. And when you see him in real life, he actually just seems like the most genuine, down-to-earth guy. But unlike somebody like Sean Connery, who, by his own admission, is not James Bond in real life, he's kind of the opposite. He's a very rough-and-tough guy he's he's you know down to earth in a more you know i'm not gonna bathe for six days because i don't feel like it you know that's not (laughs) (laughs) but like brosnan he's just himself like it's it's just it's supposed to be renee russo month but we we're gonna do pierce brosnan as well by the way if you want to hear more more about pierce brosnan sorry (laughs) did you say i'm gonna do beast back up yep say that sentence again i'm gonna do pierce brosnan i'm in (laughs) Which you can hear us do all the time over on Double R Seven. Oh, we'll see. We're gonna cover other actors before we get to Brosnan's non-Bond film. Oh, Dalton. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Dalton. Yeah, thank you, Dalton. Ooh, <laughs> I love Timothy Dalton. 
but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like, it's, it's this confidence, like everything about him is amazing. And Rene Russo too. Like, this performance is so good, and it, like I said earlier, it doesn't feel like your typical Rene Russo performance. Um, she's just as confident and, and just as oozing charisma in this movie as he is. And, you know, neither of them, I think, have had really at this point played a character like this because this is still Pierce kind of stepping out there a little bit. He's playing a fun bad guy, but he's playing a bad guy still. So um, anyways, so when they get back, she's talking to Dennis Leary and he's like, hey, nice tan. Oh, thanks. I went to the beach over the weekend. He goes, so you want to know what your friend Thomas Crown was doing the night before you left with him? <laughs> and he pulls up pictures of him and Anna, female Anna here. Uh, so it's basically looking like he's got another girlfriend and this blonde is his girlfriend. Uh, she just sort of shrugs it off a little bit, but now they get a little bit more into the plot where they start talking about another thing that I just wish they'd spent a little bit more time on so you could have more of an impact where they're saying, okay, so when a painting is, you know, put in an art gallery or whatever, or whoever it's sold, they take pictures of the border of the paintings because it's hidden behind the frame. And that's a way that you could match its authenticity. So the only way the borders are going to match completely is if you, uh, you know, are there, if you've seen the original painting out of his frame. And they basically say that this fake painting that Thomas Crown had uh, that, that they discovered with the dogs playing poker behind it had identical borders to it. So it has to have been forged by somebody who had seen the original painting. This is where the plot really, I think, needed a lot more work. And I get that this is they're really pushing the love story part here. But if they had done a little bit more of that in the middle and then just focused more on, you know, the, the investigation here, I would have liked it more because I had trouble keeping up with it. And again, I've seen this movie several times. Basically, to sum it all up, they figure that this had to have been forged by somebody. They start asking around different experts saying who could have forged this. One guy's pointing his finger at the other guy. The other guy's pointing his finger back at the first person. One of them is in prison. Uh, when they interview him, Rene Russo picks out that this guy almost had a little bit of pride when he saw the painting. And she's like, it's not the pride of somebody painted. It's the pride of somebody who fathered the child who painted it. Which I really don't get how she connects those dots. They speculate this guy must have a son who painted it. Let's find the forger. We'll connect him to Thomas Crown. Then we've got him. Uh, during all this, they have a little bit of a fight uh, in the car. Basically, he says something like, I just needed to know that you wanted me and not just the painting. He asked her to run away with him, asks if she would do it if she had to. She's calling her financial advisor or somebody basically saying how much money she could get out if she had to leave within 24 hours. So she's considering leaving with them, even though they know they're they're going to catch him any minute now. Uh, as the, they're, uh, I guess she's about to go in and talk to him for the last time to tell him she'll go away with him. Uh, she sees this blonde on the bed. So this is the one that Dennis Leary had taken pictures of. He's packing his suitcases. She knows he's about to flee. He's trying to tell her, she's not my girlfriend. You know, she's just a friend or whatever. Okay, what was she doing here? Well, I can't tell you. That would be betraying her confidence. And then uh, she slaps him a little bit. He enjoys it. He asks her to go away with him again. wouldn't? And he says, okay, I'll make this all right. I will put the painting back before I leave. She, I think the whole idea, she's supposed to be debating whether she's going to go, but she ends up turning him in instead. So that we're the next morning and she's already told all the police that Dennis Leary and everybody else that he's going to put the painting back. So let's stake out the whole museum just as he's about to walk in. This is where they 
uh, unveil the research that this you know guy who was briefly mentioned who really should be a bigger part of the movie uh, has not a son but a daughter. And here's a picture of the daughter. And it's the same blonde lady who was on his bed. And he's been her guardian for the last 10 years or whatever it was or since she was 10 years old. And guess what? She's an expert forger. So she must have made the painting. So we've got him now. We just need to catch him with the painting returning it. Pierce Brosnan walks in, and this is what I always remembered of this movie. Like uh, when I first saw this movie, I was not wowed by it. Maybe because I was too young at the time to get it. Uh, maybe because it wasn't as action packed as I thought it was going to be. But I always remember just loving this ending here. The music, whatever the song is, is incredible for one thing. It's and a remake. Walking in. There. Sorry to interrupt, but I is believe I, uh, from what I read, um, it's a remake of the song from the original that actually won an Academy Award. So uh, I believe I think Sting sings it at the end maybe oh no so there's there's two songs here i'm just reading this now so the remake is windmills of your mind which is the end credit song right this one is called sinner man from uh, nina simone oh nina simone um, i've heard of her yeah that's the one that plays during this part here which it's just it's incredible the way that it, it mixes with this big climax is is jamie okay in the background just, do you need to help her out like uh, she... <laughs> it's Casper. that's don't lie that's it's jamie <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah so th- he's basically in the museum and he puts on the bowler hat from the painting and he puts down a briefcase which is supposedly the one he's returning the painting in and you see somebody else with a bowler hat pick up the briefcase and swap it with them. And then you have this in, insane climax where they're all watching on the security footage and the guards are all over the place trying to catch him. But suddenly there's like a million people in this museum who are all dressed identical to him, carrying identical briefcases, all meant to fool them. Which one is he? He. This is where he sets off the smoke grenade or whatever inside the exhibit. Um, and when it all clears, the the smoke detector you know goes off the sprinkler system goes off and the painting that thomas crown had donated is the only one that doesn't have the protective shield that that is activated here by the 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 sprinkler system because there's two pencils that are jammed in there from you guessed it crown acquisitions uh so he planned this from the beginning the painting is soaked it all drips away they come in thomas crown is gone uh they realize these are just water water paints or whatever and underneath was the painting the, that he stole. So basically what happened is he stole this, kept it for one or two nights, donated a painting to replace it that turned out to be painted on top of the painting he stole. Thereby, he returned it immediately, uh, which leads me to what my theory is that this entire thing was a game for him uh, because he knew that he would be caught by this. And this is why I, I think I still would like a little bit of tension in this movie with, is he going to get caught from the audience's point of view? But once you know it all and how this plays out and you realize that this was just a game to him, uh, I think that's what it's supposed to be. At least it was a game to him because he returned this thing right away. But the only way that this painting is ever going to be discovered as being his painting is if it gets drenched and soaked and the other colors wash away that it was painted on top of, and there's no way those pencils are going to stay in there forever. So mm. he must have known that he was going to set this whole thing up. And as soon as they, whether Rene Russo was on to him or not throughout the course of this movie, if nobody suspected him, eventually this painting is going to be discovered as being Thomas Crown's donation, meaning he's the only one who could have stolen it, uh, which is what I think is actually kind of fun about this ending that he knew he was going to get caught and he would have to run away and leave his business behind and everything and his whole life and basically be on the run and be a fugitive. 
but it all goes back to the golf game and it goes back to wrecking the boat. He did this for fun. <laughs> he, he got bored with his life, so it was like, let me steal a painting and then return it and make sure that I'm caught and then make sure that I have to run away and leave everything behind and I'll just start new. And it's just what he does for fun. I see it. So, yeah, I think it's a good theory. Yeah, it, I'd agree with that. It's, and I, and I kind of like that the movie isn't so clear with what it's supposed to be because uh, it, it gets you guessing. But I think that if you if you were to watch this movie and assume that it is supposed to be, well, he stole it, but then they were on to him and he found a way out of it, then it does lack the tension. But if you kind of go along with my theory, I think that it, it makes him seem even cooler. I just want him to be cooler than he is. OK, but is I, I think it makes sense. <laughs> it's not like is that but legitimately possible with Pierce Brosnan? Like you, you could put him in Antarctica <laughs> yeah. and he's still just Pierce Brosnan. Well, he would be very cool in Antarctica if that's where you're going with that. <laughs> yes, it was a bad joke, Ben. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, so now they're like, oh, but guess what? Another painting's been stolen in the midst of all this. Okay, so are you going to go after him? Because it was obviously Thomas Crown, and this is where Dennis Lear basically says, you know what, I don't care. <laughs> so I got, this is where he said, I was chasing a guy who beat up his kids, I had all these crooked real estate agents, so whatever. Rich people, who cares? Uh, Rene Russo leaves, she's going to find him at the airport, the plane's gone by the time she gets there, there's a guy in a bowler hat who basically gives her something, which is the painting that she was admiring earlier. And this is the other theory that I'd like to get your opinion on. When Thomas Crown is looking at the same painting, when she's in the art gallery later, she's saying, oh, this is the one I like. And it was the one that he was staring at in the beginning, not the one he steals, but the one he was stealing at or the one that he was uh, looking at earlier. Is this the one that he loved all along and he just stole the other one because it was worth more? Uh, or was he doing that as part of a ploy so nobody would suspect he was the one who stole it and he just decides to give her this painting? And I don't know. What's your thought? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of suspected that was going to happen at the end when he kind of dropped that she dropped that line of i like this one better um yeah but i mean that makes sense that if kind of that's the one he wanted all along um even though he doesn't end up with it so yeah i don't know i, I really do like this series though like the whole game thing because it, it it does add an extra element to it i think and kind of makes it more huh. interesting because yeah, like it's it, it it does make it adds an extra layer of cool to his character. There you go. I yeah. agreed, even though I said it wasn't possible. But, um, and yeah, I I I don't know. Like I think to me, it's just if if that's the one he wants. But why did he basically let it get away and go back to the cops? So like, because he still doesn't end up with the painting in the end, does he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I don't think he cares. <laughs> yeah. Okay. True. It's. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I, I I just love Dennis Leary at the end there. He's just like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, just get away with it. Get away with it. Have you finished? Am I going now or are you still got something to No, just, I just wanted to get your theory on that before I finish here. Okay. Uh, so I don't last, have a good answer for you. I'm sorry, Colin. I don't like art. I'm dumb. Uh, you'll, you'll have to see it a half dozen more times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, for Pete's uh, Brothers, bum, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, so he's given her the painting that she wanted the whole time. Uh, she's going to leave anyways. So as she's getting on the plane, the lady's asking, do you have any luggage? She says, no, even though she clearly has it. This is where she says another really unintentionally funny line where she writes down a number and hands over the painting. He says, would you get this to this man at police headquarters? <laughs> New York City, 
one police headquarters, one man. <laughs> and it also, okay, there is actually a 1PP, one police plaza in New York, but that's where the commissioner is. And Dennis Leary is not going to be Dennis Leary. He's just detect- police headquarters, please. Yeah. Like, and, and, and like, is this in the realms of like, I don't know, United Airlines possibility? Like if I'm at a check-in counter, and can I just say this woman, she literally says, how can I help you? You work at a check-in counter. You know how yeah, you exactly. can help her. Like, like literally your one job is to check people people in and you're saying how can i help you but like is that in the realms of her job description like hi i'm just checking in i'm flying to winnipeg today oh by the way could you deliver this package to bob smith at police headquarters in new jersey just because why not like priceless too yeah it could be a bomb like this could be a hate crime against the cops again no wonder 9-11 happened You know, if they'd had tighter security on Rene Russo, maybe it wouldn't have happened, okay? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyways, the end of the movie happens. She's on a plane. She's all sad. She's crying. Somebody passes a handkerchief from behind. She turns around. It's Pierce Brosnan. She literally jumps over the seat and jumps him. Actual reaction. Uh, screaming and hitting him. Actual reaction yeah, if real Pierce Brosnan's behind her. you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, the the flight attendant's like, oh, ma'am, you can't do that. And then when she realizes they're about to have sex, naked, hot sex, sexy sex on the airplane, she's like, you're Rene Russo, you're Piers Brosnan, it's okay. Uh, just lets them do it. Again, that's uh, how 9-11 but- happened. Oh, you guys looking yes. to pretend to hijack a plane. Oh, you kids go for it. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but um, final moment here where she whispers in his ear, seductive sexily whispers in his ear you pull a stunt like that again and i'll break both of your arms and he's like yes please <laughs> thomas drown affair <laughs> great ending I, I really love like it's such a fun ending for a movie that's actually it's it's got funny moments but it's pretty serious not serious is an overly dramatic but it's like it's meant to be very you know mature and then they just have this ridiculous ending on it. i think it, in, a, in a weird way it kind of actually suits the movie I agree with you. I love the ending. I think it's great. The one thing I want to completely nitpark it, nitpick it apart is that it's bullshit and Thomas Crown is still going to jail and so is Rene Russo. Like, there's no way they just get, like, just because Dennis Leary doesn't give a shit, I'm sure the NYPD still does. I'm sure the Museum yeah. of Art in New York still gives a shit. Like, if I go and steal the Mona Lisa and return it a week later after having covered it with water paint, um, damaging the very expensive frame... I'm not just, oh, well, that Ben, he just wanted to play a game. It's okay, kid, just don't go to jail. Like, I mean, that's why everyone who attempts to murder someone but doesn't actually do it, they never go to jail because they didn't actually go through with it. Like, they didn't kill them, so they're not in jail. So I'm, I'm, this is a replacement style thing last week where we kind of talked about, well, you know, Reese Iphons is, is still probably murdered after this movie. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a good ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thomas Crown, I mean, he's literally got pencils that say Thomas Crown Associates or whatever it is. Like, Dennis Leary is going to be implicated in this too. He's let him go. He's let Rene Russo go with him like they have extradition orders from london back to new york it's not like the u.s and i'm sorry to ruin the ending of this movie but there's not a sequel to this movie because these guys are in jail just like john mctierney clearly um i mean i the only bit i don't the two bits i don't like about this movie is i don't like the therapy stuff like i know why it's there but it kind of takes you out of it and I got very confused and kind of was wondering this whole plot line about the guy in jail and the daughter and the painting over the top. Like, it just, 
I don't know if that was I'm just dumb or that wasn't explained very well and it kind of was just like, well, why, why is this even in the movie? Like it's sort of wouldn't it have been like I guess you can't have Pierce Brosnan just can do a good mock-up of a painting, but wouldn't it have been unique if somehow Pierce Brosnan was really good at doing paintings and he was the one who kind of mocked this up and I don't know if that's yeah. just me. It just kind of it feels a bit tacked on. But I will say the guy in jail, uh, so Mark Magolis, I'm probably butchering his last name how I'm pronouncing that. You might know him from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, but uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fans would know him, of course, as Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad. So uh, Hector Salamander. <laughs> Salamanca. Uh, yeah, nearly salamander. <laughs> Funny. Um, so as soon as I, oh, it's it's Hector. So I like him. He's he's a good actor. Um, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add. There's, there's actually surprisingly little action in this movie. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's a sexy movie. You don't need action in a sexy movie. But it's actually interesting. The scene when uh, Renee discovers Anna in the bed and basically goes off at Pierce. Apparently, John McTinney didn't tell Renee Russo that Pierce Brosnan was going to grab her so that essentially she would struggle and it made it more real. So I, I kind of like little things. I don't think you're going to get away with that in Hollywood in 2020 because um, he's all but telling Pierce Brosnan to assault her. Um, but, yeah. you know, uh, 1999 was a little bit more of a relaxed time, apparently. Um, so... Yeah, and I, I, I do kind of like it, the, the end bit when she's, like, rushing and that, that guy with the bowler hat is basically like, oh, yes, Mr. Crown said you would be here. He said to give you this. Um, apparently, he sounds like Bane. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yes, you need to do this. Yes, I'm Bane. Um, I actually really like the sequence in the museum. Like, I say there's no action, but it's kind of when everyone's walking around. With it doesn't the, hear. No. Yeah, like with the bowler hats and all that kind of stuff. And I love it when, like, they catch one of the guys and they've got all the paintings with the guy with the apple on him. Like, oh, just, just Thomas is just loving it. He's having fun. Um, yeah, and the, <laughs> I just love that flight attendant on the plane. Like, ma'am, the seatbelt sign is on. And then it's kind of like, oh, you two having sex. You're in first yeah. class. <laughs> oh, lol, it's okay. Uh, but how, so... How does he know that she's going to be on that plane? Is she on that plane because yeah, the ticket's booked? Like, did I miss something there? Yeah, I don't know. And No, I <laughs> And is that a thing on because he's Thomas Crown and he's so well connected? Can I legitimately, next time I board a plane, go, oh, is there a Pierce Brosnan on this plane? Why, well, yes, there is. <laughs> can I sit directly behind him? Like, can you request to sit behind a certain person's name? Um, well... Let's be honest. If Piers Brosnan or somebody like Piers Brosnan comes up and asks us True. in our work, can I do this? You're going to let him do whatever he wants to do. We, I mean, this is Game Wise James Bond. How many times in 007 download now do we talk about like in um, Casino Royale when like, Daniel Craig can just go up to a clerk and just be like, tell me all the details about Thingo down the beach. I dinged his car. Like, I mean, if you look like that. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I get a lot of information that way myself. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> ridiculously good looking. So, you know. <laughs> how it works um but yeah no it's I, I do you like the the credit at the end um before the cast it's like this motion picture was in no way authorized sponsored or endorsed by any museum nor was any portion of the motion yeah. picture filmed inside a museum the events characters and other entities including the museum they like to say museum in this depicted in this <laughs> motion picture are fictitious are fictitious and any similarity to actual persons events or other entities is purely coincidental so basically 
the Museum of Natural Art or whatever it's called did not endorse this film to rob paintings. So they didn't. They actually they tried to film inside the museum and they said no, so they had to build a soundstage. Pretty good looking set. Like it looks like an actual mm-hmm. art gallery. So um yeah, Thomas Crown affair. But it is kind of it is kind of weird that they have to have that disclaimer on yeah. there too, because does Ocean's Eleven have that about casinos? Well, like, we don't want people to get the wrong idea here. You know? <laughs> there, there would have had to be in a conversation or a law because I think they because they use exterior shots of the museum in New York, and apparently they had to get permission from New York City to like do that. And I, I didn't think you generally like you can film public buildings, but maybe it's a movie thing. I don't know, but it's kind of like um, a view to a kill when it's like any uh similarities to Zorro in real life it's like do you really need to explain this like i'm i'm sure yeah, exactly. i'm like uh, we've brought up 911 we may as well bring up the nazis i'm um, like i'm sure there's a, <laughs> a, a a good person in the world with the last name hitler like i'm sure there uh, is do they have to constantly go this person is no way related to adolf hitler who in like the 1930s yeah. and 40s killed all these people like it it is an odd thing but Again, America, odd country. They like to sue people. So, you know, there was obviously some legal threat. And, but even then, because it, it is shown, like, right at the beginning of the credits. Like, every movie has in the credits, you know, this movie is a piece of fiction. Any in relation to real life people is pure. That, that's a thing. Like, if you read credits, you will always see that in a movie credits. This is like smack bang. It's basically like directed by John Martin, produced, blah, 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 blah. This movie is no way related to blah, 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 blah. Cast, Rene Russo, Pierce Brosnan. It's, it's odd. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is unusual. I mean, I would even say, okay, well, maybe it is because it's a real building. But, like, when NASA decided they wanted to give full access to Armageddon and Space Cowboys <laughs> to film, you know, did they have to put that disclaimer on there? In no this way is NASA. Can Bru- it's a lot more <laughs> In no way can like, Bruce Willis drill a hole on an asteroid. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm sure that that is a lot more top secret of facilities they filmed in, you know, NASA, than they did – for the, the museum here in Thomas Well, Crown, any, like, whatever. I mean, Independence Day, Air Force One, Air Force One on Air Force One, Goldfinger, they didn't yeah. really film in Fort Knox. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, quickly before we uh, wrap this up, the original 1968 Thomas Crown Affair, Faye Dunaway did play an insurance investigator. Right, okay. Uh, but her commission was 10% of the money. So times are tough in 1999 for insurance investigators. It took like a 50% pay cut from what Faye Dunaway would have gotten for that. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. Not Faye fair. Dunaway was the 1960s version of Rene Russo. So, Yes. Which also, I, if anybody really wants to be confused, uh, look at the poster for the original Thomas Crown Affair. It does not look like it has anything to do with heist. It, it's literally Steve McQueen. <laughs> And Faye Dunaway open mouth kissing with a couple of zoom in shots on what looks like Faye Dunaway either licking him uh, or biting his ear. It is it, a horrible poster. Like I, I like yeah. commenting on movie posters, but that is a that is I could do a better job on MS Paint. <laughs> uh, other interesting uh, bit of trivia here. So uh, John McTiernan made this a remake of the original that was directed by a great Canadian director, Norman Jewison. Um, John McTiernan would follow up the Thomas Crown Affair, not immediately, but uh, a year or two after this, by directing Rollerball, also <laughs> a remake of a Norman Jewison film. Which uh, got him in jail. One went over better than the other. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was in prison for Rollerball. <laughs> and, I, and I keep calling him John uh, McTeeny. Isn't that the what's-his-face from Tomorrow Never Dies had a dream? Or is, is am I... Oh, John, John Tenney. Oh, yeah. Tenney. So I've combined the two. Sorry, John McTiernan. Yeah. I apologize. John, John McTiernan. 
But this movie was a hit when it came out, which uh, 1999, let's just say 1999 might be one of the biggest years ever for any movies. Uh, you just go week by week. It's just ridiculous success. Uh, at the time that this came out, August 6th, it opened number four at the box office with $14.6 million, which for 1999 was a pretty decent opening. Uh, but it was only number four behind Runaway Bride in its second week, The Blair Witch Project in its fourth week, and The Sixth Sense. So this opened opposite The Sixth Sense. And it wasn't until I read that that I remembered uh, seeing both The Sixth Sense and Thomas Crown on the same weekend, like that opening weekend they came out. I can't tell you which one I saw on the Friday, which one I saw on the Saturday, but I, I now distinctly remember these movies coming out at the same time. Be like, oh, I got to see both of these movies. You know, one's Bruce Willis and one's uh, James Bond. And it, but. I contributed to both uh, of these. Also opening that weekend was Mystery Men, kind of a guilty pleasure of both of ours, right? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. That, that, well, that, yeah, well, didn't that bomb? And like, that's kind of one of these real cult ones now that people yeah. realize actually how good that film is. Yeah, Mystery Men did not even open in the top five. Open number six. Another movie that's gone on to be considered an absolute classic, The Iron Giant, mm. opened in ninth place. So this one weekend was responsible for The Sixth Sense, The Thomas Crown of Flair, Mystery Men. Thomas Crown of Flair, okay. <laughs> the Sixth Sense, Thomas Crown of Flair. A flair. <laughs> Mystery Men, The Iron Giant, and one more classic that opened that weekend, Dick. <laughs> that classic. Wait, didn't we watch that movie uh, today? Isn't that, <laughs> no? Uh, other interesting fact, just for, for us uh, always defending people's misperception of the phantom menace phantom menace the movie that nobody liked in its 12th weekend only dropped out of the top 10 for the first time in 1999 10 11 weeks straight in the top 10 and then colin hilding uh, single-handedly put it in the next week by going to see it like <laughs> yeah. 500 times that's how it happened uh but uh yeah that was its weekend overall box office for thomas crown uh, movie ends up uh, you know, making worldwide over a hundred million dollars, uh, but North American box office uh, still does fairly well. Uh, Sixty-nine million, so just under seventy million, uh, puts it just behind Galaxy Quest for top-grossing uh, films in 1999, just behind Deep Blue Sea, uh, Any Given Sunday, Talented Mr. Ripley, what a year. and Payback. Entrapment outgrossed this by nineteen million dollars. Well, uh, but I. I I'd probably take this over Entrapment, to be honest. I mean, I, I think if you were to go back and ask me in 1999 which one I like better, I would say Entrapment. But now I might take this. That's uh, a this tough did one. This did outgross Blue Streak, End of Days, The Bone Collector, and Bowfinger, huh. uh, and Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Ah, oh, underrated uh, comedy. Oh, I love Deuce Bigelow. Uh, European Gigolo, not so much. Not saying it. Uh, kind of oh, scared. Oh, <laughs> awards... So this movie did not get any major awards. However, it did get nominated for three Blockbuster Entertainment Awards oh. and one for Favorite Actor in Drama Romance and Favorite Supporting Actor Drama Romance. So Pierce and Dennis Leary win. Rene Russo only nominated. Rob. Uh, I, I thought, okay, maybe this is a pretty big deal. I'm like, 1999, huge year. Year of Blockbusters like... You know, The Sixth Sense and, and Star Wars and The Matrix. I'm like, how did this win Best Actor and Supporting Actor? So I looked up the uh, <laughs> Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. They have a Best Actor Drama, another category Best Actor Drama Romance, another one Best Comedy Romance, another one Best Comedy, another one Best Action, another one Best Action Sci-Fi, another one Best Suspense, another one Best Horror, 
Uh, so just for best actors alone, there are five, six, seven, eight. There are eight best actor awards and the same amount for actress and supporting and so on. Did you? But oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, did you I'm, read the the why these were formed on the Wikipedia page? So Blockbuster. Oh. Um, apparently, basically created these so people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Sloan could win awards because they were never going to win Academy Awards. Brian Woods, <laughs> uh, who I'm guessing um, is oh, the marketing executive for Blockbuster in 1995, said, we wanted to have entertainers who are truly public favourites like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Sloan, Jean-Claude Van Damme, people who do big bo- box office and business in home video but are not in the foreseeable future likely to be nominated for Academy Awards. <laughs> Oh, like Sylvester Stallone nearly won one a couple of years ago, you dick, Brian Woods. But then they basically create enough awards so that everybody in Hollywood is given an award in the same year, except for Renee Russo, sadly. Oh, who did she um, lose to? Do you have that in front of you? I I do. Uh, let me just, uh, first of all, let's look at Pierce's award here. So Pierce won Best Actor in Drama Slash Romance, beating Kevin Costner for Message in a Bottle and Tom Cruise for Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, wow. Best... <laughs> Best actress uh, in a, or sorry, best supporting actor here. Let's go to Dennis Leary's first. Dennis Leary. So, so Dennis Leary, supporting actor, drama, romance. Dennis Leary beats Paul Newman, Message in a Bottle, and Sidney Pollock, Eyes Wide Shut. So three movies are nominated in the drama romance well, category in every single I think I can tell you who probably wins the best actress one. I'm going to think Nicole Kidman took that one out then. <laughs> uh, well, let's see if we can find it here. So... Uh, actress, comedy, no, that's comedy romance, uh, drama romance. Do we need some thinking music? Renee Russo is here. Pierce's bomb is pretty sexy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not anal. No, it's not. It's Renee Russo and Pierce Brosnan. Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. All right, so you are correct. <laughs> Same three movies nominated. <laughs> Nicole Kidman won for Best Actress Drama Romance for Eyes Wide Shut, beating Robin Wright Penn for Message in a Bottle, and Renee Rousseau for Thomas well, Crown Affair. Surely that comes down to, the, like, great for blockbuster for coming up with this award, but very specific, like, drama romance, yeah. comedy romance, comedy thriller. Like, surely in a year you're not going to have, like, 20 drama romances. So probably the only reason why three films are nominated because there's probably only three that year. I mean, Entrapment wasn't exactly a drama romance, so you can't have that. There's probably thriller romance or something like that. So Action what, romance, yeah. If you've only got one movie, like, if, if this was it, like, is Faye Dunaway going to get nominated for Best Actress yes. because she's one of two females <laughs> in the movie, her and the woman who plays Anna? There are three women in this movie, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, plot keywords. All right. So, uh, well, I've been talking about how much sex and nudity there's this movie. It's more just for the fact that I don't remember it. If you were to compare this to any other average, let's say R rated, or if you're in Canada or Australia, 14A, PA, whatever you want to call it, uh, then you're not going to be caught off guard. It's, it's, it's a few sequences, but it's just more than I remembered. But when you look at the plot keywords here on the main page of IMDb, it says sex in bed, sexual desire. (laughs) Female rear nudity, female <laughs> frontal nudity, and lust. Uh, those are the main ones associated with Thomas Crown. Uh, also, there is uh, scantily clad female, uh, female nudity, sex on stairs month. We got to do sex on stairs month. I've already got these open, uh, Colin. You know I've got these open. Yeah. 
Because we've already covered number one, The Room. We have. I was meant to say, what is number one on that list? Of course it's The Room. Uh, Coming by soon, our, our anniversary episode for The Room. Sorry. Uh, I'm assuming Ben's already got this in his collection. Below Her Mouth, a lesbian sex on the stairs film. Oh, um, there's cheerleaders in it. You know, I've already you know looked them up in the last week. Donnie Brasco and 45-year-old Tom Cruise in Risky Business. That's a good month right there. Which is actually weird looking uh, at some of these other ones on this list. Like, I, I need to look up these movies. There's a movie here called 30 Nights, um, which looks okay. Uh, close Enough to Touch. Ooh. The Hendersons just met their new neighbour and she is truly hot. What they do not know is how far their relationship with her will get. I'm in. Close enough to touch. Coming soon to the Oz Network. You know what I'm actually really excited for is Metropolitan Museum of Art New York City Month. Yes. (laughs) Because I want to see if they all have the same disclaimer featuring the Thomas Crown Affair, BF's daughter, finding Lee Mulliken. Not even enough to fill a month. Come on. Uh, maybe it was a big deal they actually got to be associated with it. Uh, destroying a painting month. Eh, um, overrated. Equilibrium, the Glass Castle, fifty fifty, and the Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, let's go with one of these sex ones here. No panties uh, month, female- Colin. No panties month. <laughs> There's a no. Pa- okay, let's look at that one. No panties month. The Wolf of Wall Street, V for Vendetta, which, I mean, Natalie Portman, I don't remember her not wearing underwear in that movie. I think that would stick with me. Uh, Boogie Nights and American Pie, uh, some good ones. And then uh, you think you just mentioned it. I might be stealing your thunder here when it comes to uh, Female Re-Nudity Month featuring (laughs) Queen of the South, Midsummer, The Wolf of Wall Street, and V for Vendetta. You don't see Natalie Portman's bum in that movie. That's closer. You see it in that movie. Now, is it weird that there is no male rear nudity on here? Because Pierce Brosnan is definitely showing a sexist. lot of bum in this movie. IMDb is sexist. It is. Yep. Uh, I will go with Brawless Month as well. Uh, <laughs> just as uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Spider-Man, The Poseidon Adventure, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You've been dying to cover that one, haven't you? Oh, God. But Sexy Woman Month, that's a bit uh, open-ended. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> so, okay, according to Sexy Woman Month, we have Knives Out. Who's the female lead in Knives Out? Jamie Lee Curtis. Is it? Oh, well, okay, fair enough. Valid point. Sexy woman. I get it. Um, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, Pulp Fiction, and Jumanji, The Next Level. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, sure. Valid. I mean, Uma Thurman, sure. It's not Batman and Robin, but, you know. But, like, if we were to just list Sexy Woman Month, I mean, surely we're going to come up with some better choices than those, right? I mean, any Rene Russo film. Yeah, I was going to say, we got... Doing it this month already. We got Get Shorty, Free Jack, and uh, Showtime coming soon. Yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Seas, number 43. I mean, for she's sexy a, woman, month? she's okay, but like, are they, <laughs> are they talking about the shark? Yeah. <laughs> the World is Not Enough is number 49. Now, is that for Electra or is that for Christmas? <laughs> or for M? That's for uh, M. It's a Judy Dench. Yeah, it's definitely M, yeah. Uh, so. This movie never got a sequel, but there was a sequel that I remember being in development almost immediately. Uh, like within a year of this movie came coming out, it was like, oh, yeah, they're going to be working on a Thomas Crown, too. And uh, years later, uh, Pierce Brosnan revealed that it was actually going to be a remake of another 60s heist movie. Top Cappy, is that the right way to pronounce it? You're asking uh, me? Colin, do you know me? This is twice now in this episode. <laughs> Artist 3, Top Cappy. Uh, but... Um, 
it was supposed to be called the Top Cappy Affair. It was going to be Thomas Crown 2, I guess, dealing with him now living and hiding in another country or whatever. Uh, never got made. Paul Verhoeven was originally attached to direct it. The man behind Showgirls, the Total Recall, doing <laughs> Thomas Crown. Kind of weird. Uh, but it never actually got made. I did read an interview with Pierce Brosnan where he talked about he always wanted to make the sequel to Thomas Crown. Considering he's the producer and this movie made a lot of money, was very well liked. I mean, I didn't cover it. I probably should. Uh, movie's got a decent response on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it, oh, it, Roger Ebert enjoyed the film. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it never got a sequel, and yet he's the producer. Like, there's no reason it should have been made. They had scripts. They worked on it for a long time. They had ideas. Pierce Brosnan wanted to make it, and he just said, for whatever reason, nothing just lined up right. And whether Rene Russo was going to be in it, I don't know. Uh, but while John McTiernan was in prison, he wrote another sequel. Uh, this is after the Top Cappy one, where uh, he was going to title it Thomas Crown and the Missing Lioness. Ooh. So, That's Rene Russo. Never she's got- a lioness. Yeah. Can uh, I just but Yeah, I was have you finished? Sorry, did I interrupt you, Colin? Yeah, I apologize. I was, I was just gonna say I would love to see what the mind of John McTiernan cooked up while he was in prison, but we'll never know now because it's not getting made. Um I just want to quickly before we get into our reviews of this, because um I, I like reading the bad reviews of movies on IMDB. So I just want to quickly go over two here that I like. So we have Bad Movie Alert, Auga, Auga by user Parks. Um, basically goes on to say, this is a heist movie, so they claim all the adverts show Pierce Brosnan nabbing off with works of art and then being chased by Rene Russo, cat mouse game. The adverts lie! To be fair, there are two robberies in this film. One at the very beginning, which is quite clever, and one at the very end, which is very clever. Neither of them are clever enough to warrant suffering through the rest of this awful film! <laughs> keeps keeps going on here, you know, great for him. But there's this other shorter one here by user Glux408, the esteemed movie reviewer Glux408. A shameless Pepsi One ad. For one... <laughs> One scene? What is with the musical score? It sounds like circus music. Another thing, what is Renee... Why... What is Renee... Hang on, can I read? Oh, here we go. What is Russo drinking a can of Pepsi One in the middle of an important scene? The one is facing the camera and she drinks the whole thing. It lasts like 30 seconds. What a joke. I've seen some advertising in movies before, but not like this. What is even more frightening is this is a director that will direct Terminator 3. Was this a thing? Did John McTiernan... Was he meant to do Terminator 3? Think so. I mean, Jonathan Mostow did. Maybe he's just mixing up his Johns. Well, this was written on the second of December two thousand. So, um, but like, okay, Glux four oh eight. Um, there's one glaringly obvious Pepsi one ad in this film. But I could list about a hundred and one other movies where, like, in the year two thousand, Castaway was often regarded as a big ad for FedEx. I mean, that came out that year. Did you watch that movie? Um, God, I don't know. Why Why do people complain about advertising in movies? I don't understand why people think this is a bad thing. To me, it makes a movie more realistic. I, I never complain about product placement in movies. It's just like people complaining you know, that, oh, there's all this product placement in TV shows. Well, if you wouldn't skip the commercials like everybody else on the planet, they would yeah. actually get money to pay for these TV shows from sponsors another way. And it's you're your gonna fault. Be, and, and then people are the first to complain. If this said, like, Nepsy 2, oh, clearly they're yeah. just ripping off Pepsi. Oh. Why can't they just have a can of Pepsi in the movie? <laughs> well, because they couldn't get the rights. Pepsi wouldn't sell them the rights, so they have to come up with something clever. Like, it's like we talked about the replacements last week. It didn't bother us last week that they didn't have the rights for the NFL, but... 
I mean, if they did, are you then going to complain? Like, oh, it's, you're just using the NFL. It's a branding exercise. Like, shut up. How do you? How do they pay for movies? You more? I was going to say something else here. Calm down, Ben. Uh, it's not uh, anal. <laughs> I'm just going to throw one other bad review in here because th- this one's really fun too. Uh, KV Kynlin. Oh, yeah. That's K-V-K-I-E-N-L-I-N. Uh, I won't read the first paragraph, but the, the title is wrong title. This is not a remake! <laughs> Exclamation mark, by the way. <laughs> uh, basically, it says, the new film shows nothing of all of that, referencing the, what happened in the first. It could be called a, in quotes, nice film <laughs> if they only had not tried a, in quotes, remake. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is playing Pierce Brosnan is playing a rich loser who gives away a hundred thousand dollars of bucks for dull bets and no real lover of art would handle paintings like he does. <laughs> Rene Russo always seems to be drunk and remote controlled. <laughs> this is the Our best point- segment. <laughs> Unfortunately, even Faye Dunaway accepted a role in this film, as if that could justify this catastrophe. In the end, you're feeling cheated. How could all people be so dumb? If only guards would accept wrong deliveries. If only art experts would not recognize watercolors instead of oil. If only detectives would follow every step you take, but not after, obviously, your lover committed a crime and you will run to him. If only monitored systems would be at the level of the 1950s, anyone could easily become a criminal like Thomas Crown. Very disappointed. (laughs) I love this segment. This is great. How have we not done this before? (laughs) But what are we going to do? Are we going to buy it, rent it, or bin it? Um, I'm going to buy it. I, I enjoyed it. I think it's definitely a movie that I would watch again. Um, I mean, you mentioned before about probably liking this better than Entrapment. Yeah, I, don't, I, I still really like Entrapment. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I like the cast better in this movie. That's a takeaway from Catherine and Sean. They're amazing. But um, I don't know. I've just always liked Entrapment. I've just always liked that movie. But yeah, I I like this. So I'm 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 going to buy it. This will be and this will currently be in number one spot in Rene Russo. <laughs> You think so? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. This is viable. Um, I, I will say whether it was just being too young to appreciate this at the time or just a movie that does get better the more you watch it. Like, I'll continue to say every time I watch this movie, I enjoy it more and more. Uh, this is definitely a Bible movie. I do own a copy of this somewhere. Again, I couldn't find it. Uh, a lot of things go missing in my house. I wonder why. Probably <laughs> something to do with the screams you're hearing in the background. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a fun movie and it's and i don't care about some of the little you know minor issues here and there that some of which was pointed out in that great review uh it's just fun and um it's mature and it's beautiful to look at and that's all that matters and it's so beautiful because of two main people in it pierce brosnan and renee russo three dennis leary and dennis leary and the uh, other guy sorry yes next week <laughs> what is going to be next week, Bill? Because we've got know. three movies. Here. Didn't you want me to host Guest Shorty? You said you didn't want to host I it? wanted you to host Guest Shorty. Uh, well, now, whether you want to do that one or last or whether you want to do it next, I don't know. I feel like we should do that last just because you love the it biggest so much. One, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what do you prefer to host, Free Jack or Showtime? I kind of feel like I want to host Free Jack just because I've never seen it. I've barely heard of it. Whereas That's- Showtime, I think i've seen or i maybe i, I can't i can't remember yeah so what did i say last week <laughs> so um and plus like 
I, I, I enjoy almost hosting episodes that I've had no history at all with. Like at least with Thomas Crown Affair, I could have hosted and said like, hey, I remember it when it came out. I remember this, I remember that. Again, I had not heard of Free Jack until we looked up Rene Russo month and you were like, Free Jack! And I'm like, never heard of it. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a Milo Estevez in it and Rene Russo. Like I'm sold. So uh, let's yeah. do Free Jack. Look, all I'll say about Free Jack is I've definitely seen this movie once Probably not long after it came out, I was a kid, uh, and I remember seeing well, this is when pay per view, you know, at least came to Winnipeg for the first time. And that was uh, only so three years ago, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I remember around like the early to mid '90s is when pay per view, you know, we got with whatever our cable company was at the time, we got pay per view, or maybe my mom was just too cheap to pay for it before that i don't know but uh this was on pay-per-view and i remember seeing that they used to have a channel that would just play all the movies that were on pay-per-view and i'm like this one looks really cool it's got the guy from the mighty ducks in it and uh um wow somebody's really excited jamie loves the mighty ducks (laughs) yeah you mentioned the mighty ducks flying v (laughs) (laughs) but it kind of looked like a cool movie and i remember watching it on pay-per-view and thinking that was good and then in the years since as i got older hearing all these people talk about free jack being this garbage sci-fi movie I'm like well I, I remember liking that kind of but i've never seen it since then but look at the cast in this movie emilio estevez Rene russo anthony hopkins and mick jagger okay <laughs> mick jagger acting uh how can we not do a sci-fi film with mick jagger emilio estevez anthony hopkins and Rene russo if you had told me that in some point in our history, we would be covering a 1992 movie starring Emilio Estevez. I would have got very excited. Like, yes, we've got to do the Mighty Ducks movies. But no, we're going to do the other one first. Um, so, yeah, again, I literally know history. I just said it. I've never heard of this movie until about a year ago. And I'm down. I'm, I, I need to see where Emilio started before he did the Mighty Ducks. Because this came out before yeah. the Mighty Ducks. So I need to see it. Yeah, although I, I definitely remember seeing this after the Mighty Ducks, though, because I knew who Emilio Estevez was. So and maybe everyone just- should in 2020, yes. like refresh your memory who Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I feel like he's gotten forgotten about, like even more so than Tobey Maguire and Brendan Fraser. Remember this man. He's coming uh, so, back to the Mighty Ducks TV series. Apparently, I don't know if he's got a starring role, but uh, they announced Disney Plus you? are doing it. So, But apparently, Gordon Bombay is going to be a character in it. So he's he's still alive. That's good. Now, at least time of recording this is. Did, I, I, this is completely off topic of Rene Russo, but did you ever see that interview that Emilio Estevez did years ago where he, he basically explained the, the pitch that he made to Disney for a Mighty Ducks 4 that was like kind of a dark Mighty Ducks? No, but I need to see this. Uh. Oh, look, look it up. I, I won't say anything just in quick case it spoils what they will do in the TV show, but if you're interested, look it up because it actually sounded like it would have been fine, fantastic. It was well, something best, along the lines of like Cobra Kai. The, the best thing with him that I like, I mean, again, he's just one of these actors that I love based purely on one role. I don't know if I've actually legitimately, oh, I've probably seen Young Guns when I was younger. But um, I don't know. I've never seen The Breakfast Club, so I don't like. I've never really seen him in anything outside of these roles. But um, he, I think it was a couple of years ago when the Ducks made the conference finals. One of the few times that they didn't choke and didn't make the Stanley Cup finals in the 2010s. He like he very sporadically uses social media, 
And like he actually tweeted out something like, yeah, ducks fly together. That's just one of those geek moments where I just lost it. I'm like, oh my God, Amelia Winston caught upon base cheering for the Anaheim Ducks. This is great. And I think the same year when the Ducks uh, brought back the third jersey of like the original logo, um, they had like a bunch of like five of the cast members at Honda Center in Ducks jerseys. It's like, oh my God, look, there they are. Look at them. So I love Amelia. This guy's great. Emilio Westby is coming soon to the Oz Network. <laughs> Once we wrap up Rene Russo month, which we still got three weeks left of. Uh, otherwise, what else do we have going on right now? Um, not a lot. Well, I've uh, got a just- surprise. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll total drum Ryan, but this Saturday, Colin, we've not. I've not announced this anywhere, and I was just going to drop this on Saturday, and I'm not even going to tell you who it's with. This Saturday, we have a surprise interview dropping with a Survivor contestant, a surprise Survivor interview, which. We usually always tease our Survivor interview so you can send in questions and all that sort of stuff. But no, this time around, we were just like, bugger it. We're just going to do it and we're going to drop it on people and hopefully they won't get hurt. So this Saturday, (laughs) uh, and all I will say is that they were a contestant on Winners at War. There you go. That's all I'll say. Exciting. Uh, And I already know who it is, but I won't spoil it for anybody. (laughs) Um, But Total Drama Island on a hold for just a couple of weeks is... uh, Rossi and Jared catch up on some episodes so we could try to have the rest of the season all in one shot and not have to do sporadic one week on, one week off. Uh, but that'll be coming back in a few weeks. And then uh, Free Jack next week and then Showtime and then Get Shorty to wrap it up. Uh, and uh, interview, or not interview, review, which you probably have already heard at this point, or if not, you will be hearing soon for that Eurovision movie oh. with Pierce Brosnan and Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. Which, I mean, at the time of recording this, you haven't seen it yet. But um, yeah, again, by the time it, that people are listening to this, I probably they probably already heard me talk about which it. <laughs> I am so like again, people have heard it probably now, and they're probably thinking, God, I can't believe Colin hated Eurovision so much. But like, I am so I said this to Colin off air. Colin is a Canadian; he knows nothing of the Eurovision Song Contest. So uh, this is uh, hilarious, and, and it's it's uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's kind of a crossover episode with our sister show, the Eurovision. Uh, given that we were obviously going to do a, an episode on Eurovision about the Eurovision movie. So uh, having Jared on there and let's be honest, as a time of recording this, I hope Alex was on that episode. Wasn't it great that Alex was on that episode? Ah. Um, yeah. So bring it on because you're going to have these songs stuck bring. in your head. It's like Boy Town. You just got the song stuck in your head afterwards. And make sure to sing along uh, <laughs> at home <laughs> and watch all of our other stuff and <laughs> listen to all of our episodes and this used to actually be easier to end the episodes when I think we did have to tag it at the end <laughs> Volcano Man I'll just start singing for you Sexy Bum <laughs> It's da-da-da-da. not anal <laughs> Join us again next week My name is Colin and you have listened to a sexy podcast with a sexy host and then there's Ben Wow that hurt um Wow, jeez, that threw me off my groove, man. Um, my name is Dennis Leary, and I just like my haystacks, Bobby. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, 
Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.